Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, September 30th, 2015, about nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time, if that's when it is where you're at. We're live. 800-932-1980, or go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You can participate in the shows those ways. You'll find the chat room on the uh, website and everything else you need to know about the network is on the website. And uh, you can also contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger. My screen name is AVRN Talk. And there you have it. And of course, when you get on the website, you'll see we have an email and all that. But Email is probably the slowest way to get a, you know any response or anything, uh, or even for me to see it. Uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger is probably well. Actually, the chat room is probably the you know the fastest because I have that open most of the time, whether I'm chatting or not. Uh, it's it's open so I can see. Yahoo Instant Messenger is not so bad. You'll get a uh, if I'm here, you'll get a reply fairly quick. So those are those things. Anyhow, so you don't have to participate, though. There's no rule or anything that you have to. It is Wednesday night, and that means we got Melissa Roxanne on. Welcome, Melissa. Okay, dramatic pause. Dramatic pause should be coming to an end here pretty quick. I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with this fader. Hello, hello, it's the fader. Oh, okay, well, here we go. Go ahead. Okay. All right, Um, so let's see. Earlier yesterday, Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richards, who earns $520,000 annually as head of the abortion giant, was grilled by Rep. Trey Gowdy, a Republican from South Carolina, about the organization's practices and verbally admitted that she supports abortion by gender and race. So wasn't that founder Margaret Sanger's intention in the first place? Well, sure. Genocide um, of, you know, those that she deemed... Undesirables. Yeah, undesirables, right. You know, and that could be the mentally ill, the physically deformed... The lower races like blacks, 
You know, things like that. Yeah, she yeah. was a sweetheart. She was the decider. Uh, yeah. yeah. Opposed to living and her whole side. little group. Right. You know, of eugenicists. Now, let me ask you, you're not in the chat room, is that because you can't be online? No, I can be. I oh, just I uh, forgot. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, to sign in real quickly. So I'm going to do that now. But, um, yeah, Margaret Sanger, I mean, they they started out killing, you know, children and and homosexuals, you know, and the mentally ill. And they would write letters to parents and say, your child, you know, is mentally ill when they weren't and take them away. And their parents would never even see them again. And one of them gave the okay to to murder their little boy who was born with physical deformities. And that is what, from what I know, started the whole Holocaust right there. So, but anyway, yeah, so it's, um, it's the same thing over again with Planned Parenthood. Well, it's also the same thing all over again with uh, children's services. I mean, you're talking about they wrote letters saying, uh, your child is mentally deficient when they're not. And, yeah. uh, you know, child services comes by and says, oh, your child's in danger. It's been abused or whatever. Right. And they haven't been. Or needs and they to go be on an, a psychiatric you know. drug that's going to make them crazy, you know? Yeah, and they haven't been. They haven't been abused. Right. They haven't been mistreated. They're not, uh, they don't need any drugs, you know, but they do it anyway. And they take them away by force. You know, so, you know, not that much has changed. Everybody thinks, oh, yeah, well, back in the Nazi days, sure, they did that then. But they're doing it now, too. Yes, right. It's it's the same thing being done over again. I was saying that years ago, you know. I mean, the same thing they were doing then, the same type of playbook they're using, you know. They're just doing the same thing because it worked back then. Just like, you know, the Reichstag and all that, and they blamed that on uh mentally challenged, if you want to be politically correct, you know, individual. A retarded communist. The same thing with 9-11. They blamed it on the Arabs, you know, the Muslims. So it's it's just a different time and the same old thing they're doing over and over again. Yep, they blamed it on a retarded communist. And back then, I'm sure we know, the White Rose... You know, group, they knew, and a lot of people back then knew what was really going on, and they tried to warn people. And we've been doing the same thing now, trying to warn people, and they think we're the crazy ones, you know. We're the terrorists, we're the dangerous ones, and we're the ones trying to wake them all up. And just like the White Rose Group was back then in Nazi Germany. Well, you know, we've got a little better off than they do. At least we do now, so far, but, uh, and, you know. (laughs) And and guess what, Richards, that's Cecile Richards, the president, um, that makes over half a million annually as head of, you know, Planned Parenthood, she also let it be known that 86% of Planned Butcherhood's earnings comes from abortions. Abortions, 86%. No, not surprised. You know, not surprised. Me uh, either. It's just I'm surprised that they actually admitted it. Well, you know, sometimes they get backed into a corner where they don't have much of a choice. And uh, my question is, why is the federal government giving them a dime? Yeah, and she also admitted they have zero mammogram machines on site. They're always talking about, oh, we're here for the health of women and to help them and blah, blah, blah. You know, and all this stuff about mammograms and stuff. They don't even have any mammogram machines. And not that I'm for mammogram machines or mammograms because I'm totally against them. 
They do not stop women from getting cancer. They give women cancer. I've never had one, and I never will. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's just another admission that, look, we don't, uh, but they do send people out on referrals, and then they do pay other people. And this is how they get, see, this is how they get people on board. So you're a guy, you're a doctor, you've got an office, you've got a mammogram machine, you spent big bucks on this, and here comes Planned Parenthood, and they start feeding you women and start paying you for them, right? And they get all their money from the federal government. So they, you know, hey, okay, so the federal government maybe gives them 100 bucks for a mammogram and they give the doctor 80 for it. Well, now they got a loyal pal over there, don't they? They got a doctor over there pushing Planned Parenthood. You know, and this is what they do. They buy, it's just like any other company. They buy off supporters. That's, that's, that's how things go in America anymore today. Everyone is buying supporters. I mean, even the government, when they want to say, well, gee, you know, we want gun control and we want this and we want... Uh, let's, let's hire some actors. That's the same thing as paying supporters. Well, hey, gee, you know, we want to protest. So let's go hire some protesters. Yeah, and you know, Usurper, he hired people to sign, you know, to to vote. How many times for him? Mickey Mouse, I mean, all these crazy names, Dallas Cowboys, you yeah. know, football players and all kind of stuff. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, you know, but that's the thing. Everything in this country now is you pay for it. You buy it. If you don't have the money to buy it, then too bad. It's like the Supreme Court said, hey, money's free speech now. Yeah. Right. How how and, does and, anybody expect that to work out good? And what okay? did they say that um, corporations can give politicians? What? Didn't they give a figure about how much corporations can give to bribe politicians? Oh, the, the Supreme Court didn't, but Congress okay. has made up their own rules about how much corporations can give them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. Like, <laughs> and the Supreme Court ruled that, hey, you know, you can't limit that. Because free speech is money. Money and is free speech. And we know speech. that group, Alec. You know that's how that works. They just bribe the the politicians in Congress to get their agendas pushed through. I mean, they write them out. They write the legislation. They they get them there. They get them drunk. They have their lobbyists there. Probably, you know, prostitutes. Whatever. They're all prostitutes, whether they're having sex with them or not. And they're, that's probably going on too. Or they're providing prostitutes for them at these locations. You know, and then they're like, here, here's the legislation, here's the money, here's the prostitutes, here's the booze, here's whatever, the lobbyists. You know, what else do you want from it? Just sign on the dotted line and put your name on it, and that's how that goes. Well, that's America. Welcome to America. You know? <laughs> it's more like, welcome to the next third world nation. It's where we're headed. Well, it is, and this is what's always been a characteristic of, you know, banana republics and third world nations is lots of corruption. Yep. I mean, those of you who used to listen to Bo or still listen to Bo's replays that, you know, he had mentioned some stories about operating in Africa. And how when he was in Africa, he thanked God for corruption there. Yeah. Because the only way that you could get away with operating 
in a foreign country as basically a spy or, uh, you know, uh, an operator doing things that maybe you shouldn't be doing, at least not by local law there. You know, you get caught. Take some links off your gold necklace. That's right. You buy your way out because everybody's corrupt. You know, and, and this is, you know... This is the whole thing here. This is why they like it corrupt, because they can operate in that, you know, sort of uh, environment. If everybody's honest and everybody's moral, it's tough for a criminal to get much done. Right. You know, I mean, really. No, I, I totally agree, and I believe that is the way it works. And they have their corrupt people at all over the place, you know, including giving lie detectors at police stations, you know, the judges. And when they're not corrupt, they're murdered, like Judge John Roll was when they pulled that stuff and they claimed uh, Gabby Giffords, that congresswoman, was shot point blank range, and the real target was Judge John Roll because he was deciding things the way they didn't want them decided in court and stopping you know, their agenda and their corruption. Well, I don't know who's, uh, if anybody is talking about that now, but I, was, I said that. A, a day after it happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying people may have forgotten or some people may not even be aware, but, you know, so they're all over the place. And, and there's so many that are Masons and different secret society members, you know, cops and judges and, you know, attorneys, whatever. So, and then there's the bar. I mean, it's just corruption all over the place. Well, yeah, and, and I just learned from somebody that if you're a a bar member, you can't go against sodomites or homosexuals. You cannot speak out against that, or you're going to lose your, you know, bar membership. Who'd you learn that from? Well, somebody said their attorney told them that in the chat room. Really? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, that may be an extreme, and it doesn't probably apply everywhere to everybody, and it might be in one, you know, hey, look, if you have a uh, a homo judge, you know, uh, they could say, because judges have a lot of power over attorneys in their court. Mm-hmm. You know, and if a judge files a complaint against you, you've got trouble. Right. You know, but I doubt this is a widespread well, I don't know, but maybe widespread, but it, you know, it's certainly not everywhere by everybody, and and I don't know what they mean by you can't speak out against homosexuals. Well, they said they had to be extremely careful about what they said. Well, you got to be extremely it. careful about what you say about African Americans too, or the poor little aliens that are invading the country. Oh, undocumented uh, immigrants. Yeah, I yeah. call them illegal invaders. You know, so you gotta if you're in any of these positions, whether you're a television uh, anchorman or an actor, or an actress, or a politician or a lawyer, you mm-hmm. gotta be careful about everything you yeah. say. So you know, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, but I, you know, I doubt you'll lose your bar license uh, unless you go on some kind of tirade, you know, like people have and. Uh, I'm not saying going on a tirade is wrong. I'm just saying, you know, you got to realize who you're working for when you're an attorney or a, a doctor. Well, look at doctors. They can't say much. Forget people even. They can't say much about anything. They can't tell you, uh, well, you know, uh, maybe you don't want a vaccine. Uh-oh. You're going to lose your license. 
you know, well, maybe you want to do something alternative. Oh, man, you're not only losing your license, you better leave the country. Yeah, true. You know, so we got a real problem in this country with, and it goes far beyond political correctness. That, That right there is a cover. Because what's going on in the medical industry is not politically correct. That's just criminal, man, because they're just saying, look, we want, hey, we're making a lot of money poisoning these people, and we don't want you saying anything about it. And if you do, you know, you're not going to work for us anymore. If you do, if you go along with it, hey, you'll get the Mercedes in the pool. Oh, wait, we were just talking about buying people off. Well, isn't that what's going on in the medical industry? Isn't yeah. that what they're doing with doctors? Yeah. I've read I've read their own stuff, two doctors, their own documents, uh, telling the doctors, here's how much money you can make off of your patients by giving them vaccines or by pushing vaccines on them all, you know, the parents, the children, the elderly, on and on it goes. And it's a huge money-making business for the doctors and the pharmaceutical corporations. Hmm. Well, you know, so they are paid off to keep their mouth shut and do what they're told, you know, or lose their license and suffer, you know, like you said, go to jail, leave the country, maybe get murdered. I mean, look at all the uh, doctors that are not part of the system that have been getting murdered, you know, turn up dead. Who knows? And, and what then, were they? They were specifically in, in a. A certain field too. They were they were homeopathic, I think. But I mean, I know they weren't allopaths. No, no. But they were, and and yeah, they and were. Certain scientists they have were been natural, dying natural, faced, uh, you know, scientists and doctors. But they, uh, there was, yeah, I can't remember specifically what they were all basically saying. They had something in common, all of them, and it wasn't just that. Oh. They were against, you know, drugs or vaccines. It was, it was something else specific that they were they were all on to, and it's like, no, these guys got to go, you know, because they got the goods. They're scientists; they can prove it, and uh, you know, and there and there's not just one crackpot yelling in the in the wind, you know. There's a bunch of them. And they all got to go, and a bunch of them have. Patrick McGeehan brings that up quite a bit on on the Sulphur Hour. Those doctors that have been getting killed or scientists that have been getting killed. Well, well yeah. Um, here's something, too, that um, police suspect foul play after 29 delegates at an alternative medicine seminar in Germany started staggering suffering from violent convulsions, delusions and hallucinations. Yeah, I read that, that when it when month. I read that when it happened and it, and it was like, what? The, you know, I I didn't read much about it, but it was like these guys some natural health co- thing were they at first the first headlines were that they took hallucinogenics. But now apparently after, you know, everybody sobered up, they were like probably told the authorities, "No, we did not." You know, somebody obviously spiked either food or drink at this thing. Right. You know, I I mean, that certainly wouldn't be the first time something like that happened. But, I mean, you know, and and I think something like that is more of a message to them. You know, because nobody really got hurt. It's just, 
Hey. Well, it says it was life-threatening. You know, they were rushed to the hospital. Now they say LSD is life-threatening, too, but, you know, that's only if you get on top of a building and jump off. Well, this drug was outlawed in Germany in 2014, and uh, the effects include general change in consciousness, pupil dilation, visual patterning, closed and open-eye visuals, confusion, difficulty concentrating, and or scrambled thoughts, change in perception of time, slight increase in body temperature, slight increase in heart rate, muscle tension, and aching jaw tension, increased perspiration, gastrointestinal discomfort, nausea and vomiting, dizziness, confusion, over-awareness, and oversensitization to music and noise, paranoia and fear, unwanted life-changing spiritual experiences, possible difficulty integrating experiences. Doesn't that sound like LSD to you? It does. Um, it, it is a psychedelic. Huh. Uh, phenol... Ethylamine, apparently. Um, the drug in question is 2-CE-4-ethyl-2,5-dimethoxyphenylethylamine is the drug. So. Okay, anyway. now all you people in the chat room, you listen. Don't be <laughs> out there looking for this stuff now. Now you are. Oh, and then also um, it says here a summary of recent deaths. Because it says that this poisoning, you know, in Germany follows a series of murders, deaths, and disappearances this summer of chiropractors, osteopaths, and medical doctors, most of whom were practicing holistic medicine. The apparent coincidence of these events has left many asking, are health practitioners under attack? Alternative ones, you know. Um, And so here's a summary. It says, Dr. Jeff Bradstreet, a leading autism researcher and physician, was found dead from a gunshot wound to the chest in late June. Dubbed a no-vax doctor, Dr. Bradstreet's death occurred shortly after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the Georgia Drugs and Narcotics Agency raided his clinic. Two chiropractors, Dr. Baron Holt and Dr. Bruce Hedendow, died a few days later from, quote, unknown causes, end quote. Dr. Holt, 33, and Dr. Hedendow, 67, were both reportedly healthy, and both were described by their families as very fit. Both men were chiropractors and fathers, and both were found dead on the east coast of Florida on Father's Day. Let me ask you something. Now, what were the causes of death? Unknown? Yes, unknown causes. They were both found on Father's Day. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't we we all watching these TV shows uh, where CID or CSI or whatever they are can find out anything from anything. They always catch our man, and they have big technology that always solve the cases, and and yet they can't even figure out why these guys died? Right. How is that? Is is TV lying, or are they lying? Right. Which is lying And then the one anti-vaxxer, a leading autism researcher and physician, he got killed from a gunshot wound to the chest in late June. Well, at least they know how Uh, it happened. There's another long list which were at the break time. Well, so. at least they know what happened. They were able to say, oh, yeah, it's a gunshot wound. Oh, wow. Then the following week That's on June tech. 29th, integrative medicine practitioner Teresa Seavers, MD, was murdered in her home, says Sheriff Mike Scott, who is leading the investigation into her homicide. Based on the evidence we have to this point, Seavers' murder is not a random, arbitrary situation. The same day, another doctor, Jeffrey Whiteside, MD, vanished without a trace. 
Dr. Whiteside was a pulmonologist known for his successful treatment of lung cancer, who reportedly vanished while... What? Successful? Yeah. Oh, no, no. We can't have that. He was vacationing with his family in Wisconsin, and on July 23rd, authorities found the body of Dr. Jeffrey Whiteside, who at that stage had been missing for over three weeks. The Sheriff's Department said that a 22 caliber handgun was found at the scene. However, authorities did not release the cause of death following the autopsy. And oh, it goes really? on and on and on about more and more. And and who owned the gun? I don't know. Gee. This does not say. <sighs> a twenty two pistol. Well, that just happens to be the weapon of choice of professional assassins. You know, other, and I'm not talking sniper assassins. Because really, snipers are assassins too, but... You know, they, 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 their whole thing is from real far away. But assassins that actually put their hands on you and kill you, their uh, their weapon of choice is a twenty two pistol. Because it's effective and it's quiet. And, uh, you yeah. know, there were a lot of them made. And apparently uh, they don't know whose this is. Wow. That's something. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're, wait a minute. We're CSI again. <laughs> I thought they can find anything out about anything. You know, get the get the vapors from the guy's breath and hunt down the cigar he had and who he bought it from and all these other crazy things they do on these TV shows. And people yeah, believe and let's it. Let's see. John Benet Ramsey, that case was never solved that I know of. Um, you know, think about that. Well, aren't and the it, parents dead? Didn't they die? The mother died. Oh. The dad did not. The mother died of cancer, I believe. Hmm. Well, you're right. We do have to take a break, and we'll be back in just a bit. Everybody stay right where you're at.
internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is September 30th, 2015. It's Wednesday, about 842 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. 800-932-1980s. Call in if you want to go to the chat room. It's at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Look for the chat link. You'll get in there. You can... Um, Hang out with the distraught bunch of people in there that got both songs wrong. Had no guesses. Well, no, there were some guesses. They were just all wrong. Did I mention the guesses were all wrong? Yes, that's true. Two zero. Me. Anyway, the uh, well, let me bring Melissa on. I'll give her a chance too because she likes to guess on these things. Guess. I have no no idea. Okay, total shutout for me. Anyway, the first one was by a band named Restless. Okay, they're 
They're a British rockabilly band. Okay, and they're very popular. I'm telling you, they they, they they're very popular. And, and how did you learn about them, and when? And they've been around a long time. Well, I had this song on my playlist. I don't know when I downloaded it, and I played it earlier today because I was looking for some songs that uh, might get me a victory. And I saw this one, and I'm like, wow. Huh. And then I thought, well, gee, I don't remember that band. So I looked them up, and that's who they are. And then the second one was Colin James, Cadillac Baby. Now, probably Colin. Okay, Colin. Yeah, C O L I N. Yeah, Colin. Could be Colin. <laughs> that's C O L O N. Well, it depends. Hey, have you seen the crazy way people spell their names? Yeah, we talked about that off the air. Anyway, so you don't like rockabilly either? Well, it must have been in the past because we didn't do it right now. Oh no, that's that's Irish saying that in the chat room. He doesn't like rockabilly. So now I know the Achilles heel. (laughs) Prepare for rockabilly, rockabilly marathon. Looks like I'll be winning for the rest of the week. Anyway, <laughs> got anything else there? Yeah, the same thing I was telling you. Oh, let's beat it to death. Let's do. The same day that that guy was shot with the twenty-two that you were talking about? I was talking about. Well, okay. Anyway, that whole thing with the twenty-two caliber handgun, right. you said that that's what professionals use and all that. Um, four days later, Patrick... Fitzpatrick, M.D., also disappeared while traveling from North Dakota to neighboring Montana. His truck and trailer were found on the roadside. However, authorities have found no trace of Dr. Fitzpatrick. And this was all of these alternative medicine doctors that were curing cancer and all kind of things have been being, you know, have been dying mysteriously. Um, And then all those that were exposed to that drug in Germany I talked about, just Mm -hmm. in case people are wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, One week later, Dr. Lisa Riley, a doctor of osteopathic medicine, was found in her home with a gunshot to the head. Authorities have charged her husband, Yathamas Riley, who reported her death to police with her murder. Dr. Ron Schwartz, an MD and gynecologist who practiced in Jupiter, Florida, was murdered on July 19th. Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office spokeswoman Terry Barbera said Schwartz's death is considered a homicide and added that the rumor that Schwartz had millions of dollars in his home is not true. Authorities have no firm leads. Two days after that, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, a renowned holistic medical doctor who specialized in holistic cancer treatment, died suddenly, even though he was in excellent health. Dr. Gonzalez was the author of what went wrong, the truth behind the clinical trial of the enzyme treatment of cancer. So that's a good book to get, I would think. In which he described a concerted effort by the cancer industry to suppress evidence of available low-cost cancer treatments. In late July, holistic dentist Dr. Hakeem... You know, that'd be a great book to get because, I mean, anybody, you know, we've everybody out there listening on this network has probably heard bits and pieces of that, that, you know, the cancer industry Mm -hmm. has suppressed cures. 
Yeah. But to get a book that, you know, basically puts them all together, that's a good resource. What's well, the name of that again? it's actually the enzyme treatment of cancer. So okay, it's so about that one. one type of treatment. Okay. All right. But it's called What Went Wrong? The Truth Behind the Clinical Trial of the Enzyme Treatment of Cancer. And apparently that was his death warrant, that book. So, And then in late July, holistic dentist Dr. Hakeem Abdul-Karim died in North Carolina, where our first Dr. Bradstreet was also found dead on June 19th, just over one month earlier. Although he was in top physical shape, Dr. Abdul-Karim reportedly died Suddenly, at 41, while training for a half marathon, before a passerby found him dead on the side of the road. With extensive training in dental surgery and a focus on preventative dentistry, Dr. Abdul Karim founded a nonprofit foundation two years ago to treat severely disadvantaged children and mentally ill patients. And on August 3rd, the sudden non-medical death of Jeff Harvey was announced by his colleagues he was a technologist and healing arts practitioner, homeopathy practitioner, board certified in quorum nutrition, who until his death was working to deploy emerging technologies in autoimmune disease reversal and accelerated deep tissue wound healing. A six-year veteran in Naval Intelligence Electronics Unit, Harvey's background included advanced software systems as well as military training in remote viewing and neurolinguistic programming, which I'm against all that. He was a vocal advocate for transparency and disclosure on every level, including disclosure of the military-industrial intelligence complex, ETs, and the release of the world as a long-suppressed to the world as a long-suppressed technology. And an official cause of his death is currently unknown. And then there's one more: Dr. Ren- Mary Renee Bovier, an osteopathic physician specializing in behavioral and healthcare counseling, was murdered in her home. Mid-August, Dr. Bovier, 65, was found stabbed to death in her home in Pennsylvania in a scene that authorities report to be indicative of homicide. Well, gee, that sounds like Marcel's public defender. I was going to bring that up earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah wasn't she strangled? Strangled in, her, strangled yeah. in her living room, yes. Strangled. Yes. Hey, we have a caller. I heard that. Yes, it's a disgruntled chat room member, uh, of, uh, as we could have to say a sore loser but you know hey everybody gets to come on go ahead caller <laughs> <laughs> yes this is jay from washington and thank you for taking my call and good evening melissa and i apologize for for interrupting i, I don't mean to be rude don't he, he can't help it though <laughs> but no I, this this is completely unfair okay uh it's a completely unfair uh it you know it's one thing you know, that if you know I don't like rockability or, or that I'm not into it, that, that's one thing. But but if you're going to, like, stack the deck and, like, just always play that, I mean, come on. Is that so, is that really winning? So you're don't saying, I get a fighting chance? <laughs> so you're saying, hey, look, this isn't fair. I mean, you know, you're you're stacking this thing, and, you know, it'd be one thing if I won. But I didn't. So you got to stop doing what you're doing. Is that it? Is that what I just said? That's I don't, what I heard. That's, that's what, what you I heard. heard. I don't know if that's what you said, but that's what I'm hearing. Well, here's the thing. Hey, uh, some people would say the same thing about as much blues as I play. Hey, I don't like the blues. Well, I, I don't can, know the blues. Why, it's not fair. I never have a chance because I don't listen to the blues. Well, okay. You know what? You got me. And, and, and this is what I'll do. I will, because I didn't used to like jazz. 
I didn't no. used to like jazz at all. I still but don't. But now I've started to listen to some of it, and so I'm kind of starting to like it. You're so. kind of safe. Oh, with, oh, you're I kind, hate it. <laughs> you're, kind, you're kind of safe with that one, Jay. Yeah, I think <laughs> I both hate it. So. I probably I, I won't play it. much jazz. Believe me, I'm we 51 know someone years old, and I never liked jazz. I'm sorry, Melissa, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we know someone that loves it, right, Frank? Knew someone. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, we knew someone that loves it, but... Yes, yeah. unfortunately, okay, well. we knew him. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate part. But anyway, yes, I, I feel your pain. I do. Well, hey, I hate to lose just as much as, you know, Me? the next person. I consider myself someone who's, you know, he. I know music a lot, because uh, I... I so maybe we all me, have to just go to YouTube and listen to all the rockabilly and then, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just all of us have certain songs to live to. We'll just assign them to everyone. And, um, well, sure. And look at the Internet. And, and there's all, I, I use Pandora, and there's a couple other ones out there. That's how I know music so well. You can yeah, explore that, and, different music. You know, and that's when, and, I, and that, that's when I start pulling out the Broadway show tunes. <laughs> right? <laughs> well... Well, yeah, you know. Well, hey. Good luck with those. Good luck with those. I mean, I would have better luck with rockabilly, <laughs> uh, rockabilly than I would uh, Broadway show tunes. But anyway, that's the only reason I wanted to call in is because, hey, man, uh, that was unfair. And I demand a rematch. It, 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 it was unfair. As a matter of fact. It was designed to be unfair. As a matter of fact, I demand a rematch. <laughs> well, I am that competitive. Well, tomorrow... So, there will be a rematch. Well, all righty. Well, I'll same let you guys time, have at it. And I just uh, you've got till now. You've got from now till then to listen to all the rockabilly you can <laughs> on YouTube, and and remember them all. I will do my best. Oh gosh, jeez, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for calling will, in, Jay. Okay. Yeah. Take care, friend. Bye. Well, and Jay, Jay gets a lot of the songs in the chat room. Oh, he does. He does. He really does. And uh, He guesses them right. You know, that's why i got to try so hard to get songs that mainly he won't get. Uh, you know, and everybody. Other people get them from time to time, but uh, Jay's probably the, you know, he's got the highest batting average in the uh, in the chat room. But like I told him, you know, uh, there's only one rule, and that's everything's good as long as I win. So... I, uh, me and him have one thing in common. We're both sore losers. So, there you have it. I admit it. I hate to lose. So does he. Anyway. Anyway. What, you have nothing else? Well, you want me to do the rest of the show? Well, you <laughs> no, know, Snow.com no. said that... No, no, no. They no, said I that... A question. They, yeah, I've got lots. But that poisoning thing, you know, in Germany... They claimed that they debunked it, and there's a picture of them here. It's David and Barbara and, Mickelson. What do you mean the rest of the show? There's only like five minutes left. You've only given me like five minutes well, to, hey, to talk. Well, hey, you know, there's more hours in the day. Yeah. No, there's really not. Anyway, here's something that should bother people. The headline, Canadian military ponders integrated force with the U.S. To respond to hot spots, the Canadian military has been working on a plan to create, with the United States, a bi-national integrated military force to deploy to hot spots around the world. Does that sound like the homeland? The homeland military force? Because remember the maps about what exactly the homeland is? Yes, Mexico, I do remember. United States and Canada? 
And they're already offering illegal... They put that up in Congress. Yeah, and the Senate. To it, in the, in the Senate. Out. And they're already offering illegal Mexicans citizenship if they'll uh, do a stint in the military. The U.S. military, that is. And they is. called it in Germany the fatherland. Well, yeah. I mean, now here's another one. And this is something that, you know, because this is... Uh, this is, was one of my favorite movies, and I think it was one of Melissa's favorite movies, too, which is Minority Report. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's the headline. Minority Report is 40 years ahead of schedule. The fictional world has become reality. The Internet is watching us now. If they want to, they can see what sites you visit. In the future, television will be watching us. Uh, that, I don't think, is in the future. Uh, you know, with those smart TVs with the cameras in them, what Samsung, and customizing itself to what it knows about us. The thrilling thing is that will make us feel we're a part of the medium. The scary thing is we'll lose our right to privacy. An ad will appear in the air around us talking directly to us. You know who said that? Steven Spielberg. Yeah. We are a scant 40 years away from the futuristic world that science fiction author Philip K. Dick envisioned for Minority Report, in which the government is all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-powerful, and if you dare to step out of line, dark-clad police SWAT teams will crack a few skulls and bring the populace under control. Well, you know, uh, increasingly the world around us resembles Dick's dystopian police state in which the police combine widespread surveillance, behavior prediction technologies, data mining, and precognitive technology to capture would-be criminals before they can do any damage. In other words, the government's goal is to prevent crimes before they happen. That's right. And that's the the word at the end of that thing is pre-crime. And you know, they're already doing it. Uh, I, there's been articles on Drudge about police departments, big police departments like Los Angeles. You know, actually, now, using technology to try to predict where crimes are going to happen. Now, they're not saying, like, we're trying to predict who's going to actually commit the crime, but they're trying to, co- they're trying to figure out where crimes are going to occur what well how what's next i mean what's how big of a step is it from once you get it down to where you can you know figure out where the next crime is going to be how far away are you really from figuring out who and and what's your now you know it's one thing to send a few police cars to a a, a corner where you think a crime is going to be they committed. Been, they did that years ago with that TIA. Remember the triangle and the all-seeing eye and mm-hmm. all that. The well, government yeah. group that was betting on where the next sure. terrorist attack would be in the world well, wh- yeah, while they were carrying them out. You know, it's one thing to sit there and go, "Well, okay, our technology, this and our our things that, and we've determined this and that, and we think there's going to be crime committed." at 4th and 12th Street, so we're going to send a car there. Okay, you know what? I don't care. But there's a, it's something completely different when you take that next step and you say, well, uh, we've also determined that Jack Smith is going to be the one at 12th and 4th Street to commit the crime. 
well, let's just go say, arrest him first before he does it. See, that's a totally different oh, yeah. thing. And, and if they have all of our DNA, which they do probably have most of our DNA, and if they don't, they can get it, you know, easily. They can set up anybody they want at any time. And, and in the future, no doubt, I mean, they're already able to do things with technology, like just television alone and green screens, okay? They could put your head on somebody else's body. We've seen examples of that on sci-fi shows we've watched. Well, sure. And movies and things like well, that. Well, look at the look at the setups they've been doing. Look at the uh, the 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 whole theater they've been you know doing with all the setups they've done. I mean, you know. Oh yeah. How hard would it all be to put a board movie there you know, or whatever? Sandy yeah. hoax and all that, on and on. Well, yeah, it's a dangerous world, and really it does come to a time when uh, somebody in the chat room keeps saying, buy a rifle. You know, because yeah. really, <laughs> once that happens to you, you don't have much of a choice except well, to use that rifle that you bought. And like in Minority Report, they had those robotic spiders that were going around looking for the so-called guilty people. And try, you know, the spiders yep. were opening up their eyes, and then they had a black market for eyeballs. You know, they took out yep. your eye and gave you somebody else's. Well, no we, are out, of, we are out of time. Another Wednesday bites the dust. Half the week is gone. I'll be back again tomorrow at noon. We'll have Melissa back on next Wednesday. As always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. It was just a few months ago that a friend in Texas forwarded a cassette tape to my attention with a brief note saying, Brother Wheeling, I think you should listen to this talk show program. 
Allendale of KRNN, is that correct? That's right. In San Antonio, Texas. Interviewed George Hunt last October. In October of 1987. October of 1987. There were two interviews about a week apart. Alan Dale had been sent a, a tape from a friend who heard a talk show program in Denver. That's right. Where you were being interviewed. Right away made contact with uh, George, invited him to be on the program, and uh, some very interesting things began to occur. In the one week interval between the two interviews with George Hunt, he received a threatening phone call saying that if you bring George Hunt on the air again, you'll live to regret it. Words That's to that right. effect. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Two weeks after the second interview, the station was bought out and Alan Dale lost his job and went elsewhere for employment. We have good reason to believe that when George Hunt arrived here in Birmingham, Alabama last evening, that he was being shadowed. We have good reason to believe that. After you hear the subject, the presentation this evening, I think you will appreciate that People in high places may be disturbed by the information, the knowledge that he has, that God has given to him, information that he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to share with Americans, with Christians, with anyone anywhere who will listen. Am I speaking correctly here? Including denominational church entities. Yes. I'm particularly interested in the things Mr. Hunt is going to share because for several years I have been studying the prophecies of Old and New Testament that point to some final crisis in the world, even in the United States of America, a crisis that will be tied to economics, to money. I had lost my middle son, Peter, in one of the wilderness areas, as a matter of fact, that's going to go into this World Bank that we're going to be hearing. He was killed on uh, the Franz Joseph Glacier about a year earlier in uh, New Zealand. And I was feeling pretty blue. It was about the anniversary of his death, and I, I was watching uh, public television one night about 10 p.m., and it said, Fourth World Wilderness Congress, is coming to Denver and it uh, showed pictures of reindeer and pictures of the Arctic and I said aha John told me a week ago that he wanted to go to the Arctic I ought to go to that Congress rub shoulders with the forest rangers and see what I can do about procuring my son a job that kind of on a father's heart so I learned that it was very expensive to go to this particular Congress and I did not happen to have that kind of money to just throw around. So I made some phone calls to find out if I could help. And it turns out that one of the people that was going to be an official host at the Congress was ill with the flu. 
I called that person and said, may I take your place? And he said, I would appreciate it very much. I am too sick to show up tomorrow, and the guests are going to be flying into Denver, and somebody has to pick up these dignitaries, and why not you? And so I showed up the next morning in his stead, and my fellow hosts were the divine emissaries of divine light and ashram out of Loveland, Colorado. I was uniquely suited to understand the conspiracy, and I will use the word conspiracy. That is, people whispering together in a covert um, connection to do some dirty work against the United States and against Jesus Christ and against his people, as we will hear this evening. I was uniquely suited because I have taught accounting at a college level. Uh, I have taught business management at a college level. I have 25 years of business experience and for the last 19 years I have been engaged as an entrepreneur of my own business called Medical Resources in going into businesses, analyzing their businesses and seeing what is wrong with them and being able to take all of these variables that I see in this business and come out with conclusions that are correct for their business to save their business. In other words, I'm a business doctor. So when I heard the undertones and the nuances and the double entendres that were going on in the speeches at this Congress, I knew that there was a conspiracy where others might have just had the words pass over their head something here that was not true because conservation is an antipathy with growth and development. They are mutually exclusive, as we have learned. Then when I saw the world bankers at the Congress and the UN Undersecretary Generals and the Secretary General, who I had dinner with one night, and the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the Secretaries of the Treasury and so on, and, and said, I said to myself, why are they suddenly interested in conservation? The world bankers are the ones that have destroyed the rainforest down in Brazil. If you look at the history of the World Bank under Robert S. McNamara, he's the one that designed the Vietnam War. He left the Vietnam War in 1967 and went over to World Bankdom, where he became the president. He set up massive loans that were given without the permission of the American people. There was a token rubber stamp for these massive loans to go out of our world banking system into the hands of Brazil and Mexico and the Latin America countries, and we don't know really how those monies were spent. One project that the monies were spent on in Brazil was a large highway connecting the inner parts of Brazil with, with the coast, and that highway still does not function properly, from what I understand, because it was designed poorly and it floods when, um, when the rains come, and so it, it's not dependable. Billions of money were spent on that. Billions were spent on dams that don't work. Rainforests were slashed down and ruined, and our oxygen-generating uh, areas of the world were decimated by the very people that were saying that they wanted to save our ecology, save our biospheres, and keep the world safe for mankind. 
when you were invited to be a host, did you receive advance information about who the dignitaries were that would be present? No. I had no idea that those dignitaries were going to be there. All I knew was there were going to be people representing the interests of reindeer and the Arctic, where I wanted to get my son a job. Uh, when I got there uh, the first night, I was invited to the opening uh, party that they had, and I noticed one of the name tags waiting for someone to pick it up was Eddie Rothschild. And I said, Rothschild? I wonder if the Rothschilds are here. And then that's when I checked the materials that were given to me, uh, the registration packet, uh, which contained booklets like this, this is our common future, by the way, according to the world elite. The people that are going to control the one world religion coming out of this, the one world banking system, the uh, one world government, uh, also have in mind that our common future is like these poor Ethiopians who have been turned against by their very own government. So uh, they, they passed out these booklets. These are, the, these are the lands that we're going to be losing to this bank. I'll get into that now. Um, but there were about 1,500 people, and um, then we went up to Estes Park after three days in Denver for f four days of shirt sleeve sessions. All right, well, under um, Robert S. McNamara's uh, leadership in the 1960s, uh, an amassing of today $1.1 trillion in debt and accrued interest that cannot be paid back, most of which cannot be paid back by these poor little third world countries, uh, has accumulated. $400 billion of this, according to David Rockefeller, he says that nearly $400 billion in debt is owed to a number of commercial banks, including his own bank, the Chase Manhattan. And uh, according to the Brazilian with whom I spoke there, who is very uh, who confided with me with the Brazilian situation, there is no way that they can pay these back. These loans are uncollectible. Now, most of this money is owed to the United States banking system. We have $150 billion in equity in our banks that can absorb the shock of the first $150 billion that is written off. And after that first $150 billion is written off, Charles, um, the next $750 billion is going to come out of the depositors' hands in the banks because the bank equity cannot handle those losses. So we have been propelled by the World Bank in our United States economy here that either way we lose. If we do not have a World Conservation Bank established as a result of this Congress that I went to that will take out this debt and refinance it, using the world's wilderness lands as collateral, and we'll get into that. If we do not have this World Conservation Bank, our U.S. economy will collapse. We are at the point of collapse now. The, the banking authorities that investigate banks are hammering our United States banks right now and saying, you have to write off this debt. This is uncollectible. The loans have gone into non-accrual, and the countries have already admitted that they cannot repay, and you have to uh, write this debt off. They can't write the debt off or we will go into financial collapse. Either way, you lose. They plan to create a super, super World Bank that's going to absorb all the debts that the World Bank has created and 
and then uh, from a basis. Every bank has to have capitalization. Now, it might be the, net, the equity that, that people that start the bank pump into the bank and say, here's 100000 from me and 100000 from this guy, and let's then loan it out and get this bank going. Well, the collateral in this bank is going to be the 34% of the Earth's surface, the Earth's land surface. Michael Sweetman, who is designated by Edmund de Rothschild as the World Conservation Bank president. I had lunch with Michael, and I said, Michael, I have analyzed what I've heard in this Congress up to this point, and at this point, I cannot see how this bank can survive, because I, as an accountant, always look for an earnings engine in the capital statement, in the capitalization of the bank, something that's going to produce interest, dividends, earnings to keep the bank running and pay the employees and so on, and I don't see it in this bank. I see collateralization coming from worthless wilderness lands, and that's why they're wilderness lands, because nobody can get any economic order out of it. What's going on, Michael? And he said, we're working on that. I said, you don't have an answer as to how this bank is going to survive, and you're going to the IMF World Bank Congress at the end of this month? I had luncheon with Michael, or with Michael Sweepin and, and uh, Baron and Mrs. Rothschild. Um, I, um, I laid out my fears to the table at which I was sitting, and I received confirmation from a World Bank authority, who I cannot say, I cannot say their name, but they confirmed that my suspicions were correct. The United States is going to go down the tubes very shortly. When? Uh, would you put on that tape by John D. Rockefeller IV, February 1st, 1988? But I do know in 1988 that we've got to lay our base for either this year or surely for next year. Because all of those people who are out there running for president are making the largest mistake of their personal and professional lives because when one of them gets inaugurated in 1989, all of the chickens are coming home to roost. And it is going to be an extraordinary year of reckoning. Uh, a reckoning in terms of the budget process, a bold action, it'll be the time for it because it'll be a new administration and all kinds of old habits are going to have to go out the window if we are to survive as a nation. And I believe right. it. I, it's that serious, and you know it. We have the only dollar that's worth anything is what Rothschild is going to tell the United States economists. Our world conservation dollar is the only dollar that's worth anything because it's the only one that's capitalized and it has value behind it. But you know, as of this meeting, that there's no value in wilderness lands. And you also know at this meeting that there is no earnings engine in the World Conservation Bank. In other words, it is a fraudulent bank. Remember when Esau said to Jacob, I'm really hungry and I, need, I want some of that pottage that you have there. And Jacob said, will you give me your birthright for it? And that was the first known swap. That was a counter-trade transaction. And through counter-trade, Rothschild and his bevy of bankers are going to debt swap and counter-trade the United States, every one of us, every city, every town, every state, every bit of wealth is going to be counter-traded out of the country into the Royal Bank of Canada, which is the, the collection basin for the uh, American uh, swapping activities. They're going to come along and say, you can't pay your mortgage and you're down on your knees and you're going to lose your farm. Here, take a World Conservation Bank loan. You, five, years to, five years before the first payment, 
and the payments are low and it's only 3% interest and you'll be helping Mother Earth. And that's another aspect of this thing. It's going to be a religious pride thing. Hitler came along with touting uh, the Fatherland. Well, we're going to hear something even bigger than that. These guys are going to sell this World Conservation Bank as something that is helping Gaia, Mother Earth, because there's a Mother Earth religious cult coming out of this thing, too. You do not have a wilderness congress and uh, suddenly discover James Baker, who is the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States of America, uh, Mr. David Rockefeller, who um, has been uh, rather out of the news for the last two or three years, but uh, suddenly appears at a wilderness congress. Um, Mr. Rothschild, one of the foremost uh, bankers of the world, appears there. Uh, what I hear you saying is it's a big cover for a plan to save the wealth of the wealthy. Is that what's going on here? Is it that the powerful people in the world, beyond any... Uh, philanthropic uh, feelings or motives they might have is it that the powerful wealthy people of the world have designed a plan that will save their wealth and power is that what I hear you say yes the World Conservation Bank is going to be the decoupling mechanism for the wealthy to disengage themselves from capitalism and go to the back of the bank so to speak and become the creditors of the bank and then wind up as the world's uh, dictators. Thank you, Charles Wheeling of Countdown Ministries, for this valuable interview. Brothers and sisters, this information you are viewing is factual. The World Conservation Bank scheme can unfold in different ways, but all paths lead to the collectivization of the world's people into a dictatorship by the elite. When the United States-Canadian Free Trade Agreement was signed, the World Conservation Bank was formally put into second gear, as instructions to the country's treasuries were embedded in the agreement to pursue the possibility of establishing this bank. Debt for nature and debt for conservation swaps are already being carried out in Ecuador and other countries, so things are rolling. And now to the next part, currency matters. Soft currencies can be created by this bank and converted into hard currencies. Uh, and that is, we can be debt swapped by Brazil and the people that control Brazil against our, what we have left in our treasuries, which isn't very much. They'll take soft currency created by an enactment and trade it for um, uh, goods and services out of the United States, pay us in the soft currency, and the soft currency then will become de facto hard currency in the United States creating terrific inflation for us. We now have a, current, a world currency dollar that's under the manipulation of the Rothschilds because, as you probably know, the Rothschild family sets the price of gold in London. And now the price of gold will be a determinant on the value of currencies. The Rothschild family also owns the eastern oil and the Rockefellers own the western oil and oil will be a determinant in this basket of goods in the new currency system. So we have 
families now that are controlling our currency. And the Rothschild said 150 years ago, whoever controls the currency of the country controls the wealth of the people and therefore controls the people. The economy here will collapse. It's only a matter of time, and it's a matter of design. Mm -hmm. This gentleman uh, finally, after some lengthy discussion, said, I'm Canadian. I'm on assignment over here on your side of the border. I work for the Canadian Treasury. There's new money, you know. We have it all printed. It's in the vaults and in warehouses in Canada. Oh, Canada. I'm trying to put all of this conversation together with what I'm hearing you say here this evening. The Royal Bank of Canada, perhaps. He simply said, this gentleman told me that Americans did not have the expertise nor experience to print colored currency, that uh, this was being printed by contract in Canada, had been printed, and is uh, presently being held in large warehouses um, awaiting the proper time for distribution. The next thing we're going to listen to is Baron Edmund de Rothschild. Well, this is going to be called a new Magna Carta, too, this, this uh, World Bank uh, program. All these enactments are going to be given the title of the new Magna Carta. In the old Magna Carta, it gave baronial rights land rights to barons in England. And, and, uh, and in the new Magna Carta, it's going to be given baronial land rights to the world for Baron Edmund de Rothschild. We're going to hear him now announce the creation of the International World Conservation Bank enactments, which will include a second Marshall Plan. That's what's going to bail us out here in the United States. It's going to include a third world debt relief, and it's going to include a new world currency system. Let's hear Baron Edmund de Rothschild. But perhaps this conference might like to think more about the Marshall Plan, which had been mooted and put forward very tentatively at the uh, Denver conference. And perhaps this might be the keynote of what you have heard today and what perhaps you might like in some perhaps amended form to have put forward. At this conference, recognizing the needs to protect our ecological and environmental heritage within the concept of the World Wilderness Congress, World Wildlife Fund and all other bodies involved in the preservation of life on our planet, Ask the Prime Minister of Norway, Right Honourable the Gro Harlem Brutland, as one of the world's leaders of a greatly respected community, to be the promoter of this International Conservation Bank. By her Brutland report, which has been widely circulated to world leaders, she could follow up this report with the recommendations to promote a second Marshall Plan the third world debt relief and finance for a stable development. That's it, folks. Those three pronouncements have set in motion a one world economic system with the United Nations becoming the legislative Congress, the Royal Bank of Canada being the banker the Federal Reserve of the world and 
the dictators of the world being that hub of, of people in London. London is the creator of the ills of mankind, I have learned, and the Commonwealth countries are the ones that have done us in. Some people might wonder why, if it's a matter of public record, people don't catch on to what's going on. And the problem is that the finances that are involved in all these balance sheets are so astronomical that people don't understand. And you have reporters that sit through these sessions and Rothschild speaks and he says, well, then this must be the best for us. And they don't understand what they are in, what, what's involved in these financial transactions. And by the time we do understand, it's going to be too late. And that's why they can make it a matter of public record. Has any of the American businessmen uh, or uh, in the United States uh, have caught on to this or there's nothing they could do or are they just pawns under the Rockefeller system? Uh, They're pawns under the Rockefeller system. Uh, David Rockefeller uh, addressed the Council of Foreign Relations of Denver uh, on Monday. He spoke on Sunday at the Congress address the Council of Foreign Relations in Denver on Monday. Most of the world industrial leaders are represented in the Congress, uh, in the Council of Foreign Relations, which is a, a group of people that sw have sworn allegiance to the Babylonian money system that we have in the U.S., and they'll go along with anything that happens. There are very close, Unquestionably. Ties, very close ties between the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Trilateral Commission. Yes. And uh, the historic plans and ideals of the Illuminati. Exactly. These, these are facts. They uh, personally believe that the old money system that we have, that we carry around right now in our billfold and in our pockets and purses, is, is going to be recalled as they recall the, the Franks after World War II. They recall the old money and issued new money. This is going to shake out a lot of Coke dealers that are stashing money aside. People are going to, the only way that they can get a new medium of exchange is to turn in all of their valuables and get it converted into new money. Old money will become verboten. I wouldn't think so. The store of value, um, I'd like to have silver and gold stashed away somewhere in a little hole in the ground, and uh, I imagine if Caesar, I'd be inclined to uh, want to disobey Caesar and uh, and have my little stash of silver and gold. But you know, then you then you think about well, now what if Joseph, Jesus's uh, uh, father in the flesh, uh, or the, you know, the temporary custodian of Jesus, would would have uh, had that kind of mentality? He probably wouldn't have gone to Bethlehem. Uh, to uh, pay his taxes, okay? And he would have then violated God's laws and things would have come out differently. So I choose to obey the laws of the land as they stand as long as they don't violate my conscience. I found out that there is a blessing in obeying your authorities, as I learned at the Congress. It gave me a ticket to ride to be able to tell you all of this information because I obeyed my authorities. Good point. Now, Harry Schultz describes it in his international newsletter. Uh, here is um, what he says. 
My research and development indicates Japan is going to turn an already negative outlook into something bordering on horrendous. Tokyo may turn a bad global bear market into panic and depression. Uh, Tokyo is going to pop, according to this fellow. Their, their, their economy is so inflated and they are so fragile in Japan that they are the one that's going to set off the world panic, according to this chap. A, a person asked me, what about these people on government checks, Social Security? Well, all those things are going to be wiped out. All of your savings are going to be wiped out. Silver and gold is not going to save you. You're going to be either dependent upon the World Conservation Bank and the goodness of its officers to provide you with the living you need to sustain your life, or you are going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to sustain you. And that's going to be the decision. People are going to fish or cut bait onto whether they are going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Period. I mean, this is a spiritual, a spiritual dilemma that people are going to be put into. The bank really isn't going to be receiving real money from Brazil and so on, but they'll have the appearance of bringing it in. And then when the bank goes bankrupt, all of the mortgages of the world, which have been turned into the bank and counter-traded and debt-swapped, people haven't been able to make the mortgages on their Alabama Savings and Loan mortgage, so they have debt-swapped their Alabama Savings and Loan mortgage for a World Conservation Bank mortgage. The World Conservation Bank, to put it succinctly, is going to own mortgages on all of the wealth of nations throughout the whole world. And when the bank goes bankrupt, the creditors of the bank, as is done in international law, will move into the bank and take over its operation and will take all accounts receivable owed to that bank, which are your mortgages and my mortgage and the, the wealth of nations. Uh, the cities won't be able to pay their debts. They're going to get deeper and deeper into debt to the World Conservation Bank, so they'll own New York City, they'll own Boulder, Colorado, they'll own Birmingham, Alabama, and the creditors will move in and take over all of those mortgages, and the very wealthy, the wealthy elite of the world will have counter-traded bad world conservation dollars in for the claims on the real wealth of nations, and when the bank goes bankrupt, we will wind up serving the people who are capitalists today. People who pull the strings. The people who pull the strings. The World Conservation Bank will be used as a decoupling mechanism for the capitalists to become socialists. It's a dirty trick. We've got now the weird experience of listening to David Lang, personal friend of I. Michael Sweetman, who is a superb elitist who says that the cannon fodder doesn't really need to get involved in this bank. Let's play that. When the auditor finally gets his hands into the balance sheet. I suggest, therefore, that this be sold not through a democratic process. That would take too long and devour far too much of the funds to educate the cannon fodder, unfortunately, which populates the earth. We have to take almost an elitist program that we can see beyond our swollen bellies and look to the future in time frames and in results 
which are not easily understood or which can be, with intellectual honesty, be reduced down to some kind of simplistic definition. That, okay, and if you go up to 212, David Lang, Peace. I would hope that he wants to set up a fraudulent situation to create currency to help the developed countries seem to be paying off their loans. Go ahead. Initial capital base so that the income in local currencies from that capital base could be used without encroaching on capital. Those obviously are very high ideals and maybe they're not realizable. But I fear that if you don't strive for that as your objective, all the good work, all the good wishes, and all the good money will very quickly come to nothing. Thank you. Okay. Now the reason, what he said there is you have a capital base that the bank creates wealth from all of these world wilderness lands, uh, and that is the capital base that the countries use to, for, their, for their currency and to get the countries running again. And then he wants to create additional currency beyond the capital base in the amount of the interest and loans that will have to be paid off by these countries to give the bank an appearance of profitability. But it won't be profitable. I know it's obscure and esoteric, but I was able to catch on to that. And nobody there really caught on to it. I spoke to, the, to one of the reporters of a large newspaper. I was sitting uh, uh, with him, and I said, have you caught on yet of what's really going on at this Congress? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, don't you realize that there is a one-world dollar that's being set up right in front of us? At this? Said, no, I missed it. So I explained to him using, using, uh, using accounting T-accounts to show the capitalization of the bank and how currencies were going to be created. And, and uh, he said, is that really going on? Well, I saw him a few weeks ago, and he still really couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it is very difficult to figure out the riddles and deals that they're setting up in this world system. They don't realize that God has known these schemes from the foundation of the world. Their deluded minds hatch the very plans which God will use in the end times for the salvation of millions of souls. God will have the last laugh, and as he wipes the tears from our eyes, we will rejoice with him. Tribulation must come for a little while. Our Redeemer will win the victory, though it might seem we are losing a few battles. Give your anxiety and fear to him as these plans unfold. Trust him. We will now see some of the plans for establishing a world religion. A counterfeit Christ is ready to emerge out of the Catholic, Protestant, and mystic religions. Tell us a bit about uh, this large very large ranch in uh, southern Colorado. Who's the owner? What's the connection with what you learned at this Congress? And All right. There's a real interesting fellow that sat to the right of Michael Sweetman at the World Conservation Bank Caucus, and his name is Maurice Strong, M-A-U-R-I-C-E, Maurice Strong. And he and his wife, Hannah Strong, uh, own the Baca. It, it was an old Spanish land-grant ranch in Crestone, Colorado, down in the San Luis Valley, 
on one side of the ranch to the west, to the east, it's on the western slope, to the, to the east of the ranch are the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, the Blood of Christ Mountains, and to the northwest of the ranch are the San Juan, the St. John Mountains, and water flows from these mountains into the San Luis Valley, and there are great underground streams that feed the Rio Grande River uh, and the, uh, uh, the Arkansas River and all of these. It's, it's the headlands of waters. So they have a 160,000 acre ranch. Some folks have said 130,000 acres. And this ranch is on, um, it's right on the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. And in this ranch are spiritual, world spiritual um, ashrams from India, England. The Catholics have a monastery there. Um, and uh, the Episcopal Church, of which I am a member, uh, has a representative there called Lindisfarne, which it turns out is, is, uh, in, is probably the Protestant representative of bringing Catholic, Protestant, and spiritual religions together at this ranch. Because on this ranch is a temple that was built by the Lindisfarne fellows in conformance with Babylonic numerology systems. Lots of sixes are in there. Uh, there are 72 seats, for instance, six times six times two, uh, where, where the leaders of the world religions sit around in a rosy cross. If you look down at it, the, the middle of the Holy Grail is in the middle of the temple, and surrounding the Holy Grail is a Rosicrucian, a Rosicrucian Babylonic system seating arrangement where they are going to incantate during the sexual union of God the Father and Mother Earth. I happened to talk to the priest there, uh, Father Victor, last week. I said, what is your mission here? on the Baca with this, with this uh, monastery. Doesn't it give you um, a feeling of insecurity to know that there's a temple up there that's going to commune God with Mother Earth and you have all these Eastern religions around? And he said, no. He said, we just sit here at this, in this monastery and contemplate, and we're not concerned about that. I said, well, what do you contemplate on? And he said, we contemplate on the sexual union of the church with God. I said, wait a minute. Say that again. He said, we contemplate on the sexuality of the church as it's expressed in the Song of Songs. I said, well, I'll admit that the, it is a real love poem of Christ for the church, but why the sexual union and so on? He said, that's our mission. He said, because we're fulfilling a a, a role that the Pope wants us to fulfill. He said, I don't know. We're just contemplating on the sexual union of, of the church with God. I said, could it have anything to do with the Lindisfarne temple that's been built there by the Episcopal Church, by the Protestant sector, where they're going to have a so-called sexual union of God with Mother Earth? And are the Catholics providing contemplation into the sexual union? He said, I don't know anything about that. I said, you've been here for a year and a half and you don't know what's going on in this place here? And he professed ignorance about it. Well, if you just read the papers, he'd see that marks are being put on people's forehead with the ashes from ancient fire ceremonies at the Baca. 
there's going to be a Mother Earth worship system that's then going to be connected with ecological and environmental laws. William Ruckelshaus, the president, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, here, here he is shown in a, an official photograph from the Congress. Here's the fourth world wilderness flag behind him. There's William Ruckelshaus, the head of the EPA, and there's David Rockefeller, the head of the Chase Manhattan Bank. He was called at the Congress Mr. Environment. He's vice president of uh, Weyerhaeuser Lumber, and it's suddenly he's a Mr. Environment. That's one of the funny things you see happen in the world system. And then here is Mr. Development, uh, David Rockefeller, and these two people are having a, a great struggle with one another. He wants to protect the environment, and he wants to uh, go for growth and development. It's an equation that was presented at the Congress. Conservation versus growth and development. We have to equate these. So, William Ruckelshaus is down as a fellow shareholder in American Water Development Incorporated that he, uh, he and Morris Strong, the head of BACA, are, have a corporation where they want to suck the aquifers dry, the aquifers getting their water from the Blood of Christ Mountains and the San Juan Mountains down there. There's a lot of water in the San Luis Valley. Millions and millions of acre feet of water. An acre foot is the size of a football field, one foot high of water. And they want to pull 200,000 acre feet for openers out of the, the Baca. Well, here's Mr. Environment. And I did a survey of the people down in the San Luis Valley. And I sent letters out to these farmers last December. And I said, what will happen if Morris Strong and William Ruckel's house and others pull water, 200,000 acre feet of water out of the San Luis Valley without one hesitation. It was unanimous that their, their land will turn into a wasteland. It'll turn into a desert. So here we have people at an environment congress that are then waltzing 200 miles south of Estes Park down in the San Luis Valley of Colorado that want to suck the, the aquifers dry and turn it into a desert. The, the hypocrisy is so deep. We are going to come under a satanic world government. And don't worry about it because I found out that God will provide what we can't provide for ourselves. If we're on his side. If we're on his side. That's right. We've already been given the marching orders for the tribulation period. It's called the New Testament. Paul went through it. He went through New Age back there in Rome. The temple of Osiris and the temple of Diana of the Ephesians and so on. And he knows, he's told us that if we keep trusting God, he, God will take us through the tribulation. Not that we won't be killed or tortured or what have you, but it will be in God's timing. So I'm trusting that God will see us through the tribulation, and I choose not to get into fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. As a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I'm reminded of a statement from the pen of one Ellen G. White. It was penned at least a hundred years ago. She was commenting upon Revelation chapter 13 and the subject of the mark of the beast. She said at that time, not all is understood yet with regards to the mark of the beast. 
nor will it be understood until the scroll unrolls. That is, until the very events foretold in the prophecies begin to take place. Until the stage of history is set. Until the men and powers and organizations and people come into place. Until the actors are on the stage. Then, she said, these things will be better understood. Then it is that the people of, people of God will be brought to decision, to a test. Now the same book of Revelation in the third chapter warns us that there is an hour of temptation that will come upon all the world. All the world. The same admonishment contains a promise that God will keep those who are faithful. Those who are obedient, those who have their confidence in their faith, secure in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has promised, I will keep you in the hour of temptation that will come upon all the world. He is a Viscount, uh, no, a Count from France, who's in charge of the uh, world religion broadcast for the world. Um, and um, in our conversation, he said, you people in America will know what the meaning of duty and sacrifice and service and discipline are. He said, you will work and know God through your discipline and duty and sacrifice. He said, you people in America are soft. You worry about your rights, rights, rights. He said, you will see what it is like not to have rights very soon. He said, you will meet God. And I said, what is God's name? He said, God, he is a mathematical formula. He is what I call the great ism. And he said, your dog, the table, you, me, we're all the same in this great ism. And he said, you will meet the great ism in your duty and your sacrifice. And he said, and then you will know God. And I said, you mean like, eins, zwei, drei, vier? And I made a Nazi salute and a goose step, and he smiled knowingly, and as if to say, you got it, mister. Uh, we're going to be under a totalitarian, cruel regime here in the United States. And we will know what duty and service and discipline and lack of rights are. Most, if not all, religions and visionaries look to the time of the end. The Hopi Indians call it the Great Purification. Christians call it the Great Tribulation. Without Jesus, no person can stand through it all. So what good will it do us to worry and fret? Watch for Him. Trust Him. Cast all your cares on Jesus Christ. Read the Bible as the Holy Spirit leads you. I learned of Jesus Christ from the New Age, from Yogi Satchidananda, back in 1970. In the early 70s, Sri Swami Satchidananda had an ashram here in Boulder, Colorado. He used the Word of God to try to steer us into his own path. Just say, Om, to bring God into the present, I remember him saying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just say, Om, and God is there, he said. What he failed to mention was John 1.14, in the same chapter of John 1.1. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. 
He also claimed that Jesus Christ was just an avatar like everybody else. Hmm, I said to myself, why does he protest so much? One day I said the generic prayer. I was confused but wanted to know the truth. I recommend this prayer to all non-believers who may be watching this video. God, if you exist, would you please show me the path that I should go? I added, is the path Yogi Satchidananda, Yogi Bhajan, Mayor Baba, Krishna, Gaskin, Jesus Christ, will the real person please come into my life? A few days later, a little old woman who I had never met stepped up to me and said, I have been expecting you. I was surprised. I said, well, uh, uh, what's this all about? And she said, you were searching for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am to tell you what the Holy Spirit leads me to say and turn you back to the Holy Spirit. She had been praying in tongues, as she said, with a group of fellow believers. An aura settled around her, and her tongues were interpreted that a person who was seeking the Lord Jesus Christ was to come into her life in a few days. She was to tell that person about the Lord Jesus Christ as the words came to her and then turn the person back to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You, she said, are that person. I can't remember what she said, but it burned like fire into my heart. Simultaneously, other nat supernatural coincidences were happening to me, and I finally knew that Jesus Christ was my path to follow. That was on February 14, 1971, and my wife Betsy accepted him through Don Ferguson of Boulder, Colorado, at the same time. He was our Bible-reading next-door neighbor. I believe that many in the New Age will come to the Lord Jesus Christ before the time of the Gentiles, so to speak, closes in God's preordained history. Be ye separate from New Age. Our separateness will become like a light in the darkness of, to them. I believe that their lives will become hell as the persecution of the church increases in tempo. We will learn love from our Lord and they will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. I will now end this video with various tapes from the Congress. Study your documentation manual. Read my licensing agreement in the manual and send it to me for my permission for you to take this videotape to others. Your financial support is always appreciated and I thank you for that. Here is my address if you need to contact me or make suggestions or need more information. This is an informational message from the Lord and I am his messenger. I take personal responsibility for the presentation of its contents. Goodbye, shalom, see you in the next life, if not sooner. This video will now end by playing the official tape of the Fourth World Wilderness Congress. In particular, you will hear the voice of Canadian Maurice Strong, the voice of Michael Sweetman, the World Conservation Bank President, and the voice of England's Edmund de Rothschild. Listen to what de Rothschild says about manufacturing dry ice machines and creating alternatives to dams. Ask yourself, too, how can a person harness love as Rothschild seems to propose to want to do? What does that really mean? If God is love, is de Rothschild suggesting that he harness God? And uh, I think we're going to have some very, a very interesting time over the next three days.
but not just an interesting time. I hope we're going to have a very productive time over the next few days. And we're going to come out uh, by tomorrow night, at any rate, with a resolution which we have to hand to the Resolutions Committee if we want a resolution about the World Conservation Bank in the Congress proceedings, and I, hope, I trust that we do. So we've got to think about that as well. I suggest what we might do is to cover that at the end of these two sessions this afternoon, and maybe some would like to, some would like to stay back and we could discuss how we um, proceed with that. So let's get the proceedings running now, and we will uh, see how we go. Thank you. Mr. Morris Strong, who most of you already know. Thank you very much, and you've already heard perhaps too much from me, so I think this is, we're reaching the point at which we want to involve you, all of you, in uh, the next step of this conference, which is really to come to grips with some of the principal action-oriented issues, and one of the most important initiatives that is uh, open here for your consideration is of that of the uh, uh, conservation banking program. Uh, as we mentioned this morning, we have as our chairman, fortunately, the person who really is the source of this very uh, significant uh, concept. Uh, he uh, he uh, uh, was, is one of the trustees of the International Wilderness Foundation, which sponsored this meeting. He, has, he was at the first of these congresses. So his conversion to the relationship between conservation and economic development uh, has been a, a, a pioneering one. His work on many dams. He's, you know, I used to be in the hydroelectric power part of the energy business myself. Uh, and uh, the, many of the energy developments that we've seen have come from his early anticipation of our energy needs and his early work in supporting pioneering initiatives to deal with these needs. So there is no better person. He epitomizes in his own life that positive synthesis between environment, conservation on the one hand, and economics on the other. And I'm just delighted to have this opportunity of uh, introducing to you Edmund de Rothschild. Morris, thank you very much indeed for all that you've said uh, and uh, I would ask the audience to take with a slight grain of salt all that he has said about me. And I want to start there a little bit of my talk to you on a somewhat different vein. You see, in order to further the ideals of the world wilderness concept and to prevent the concept and this concept just to remain an ideal it is of paramount importance to find ways and means of finding and promoting its rationale. There are these ways and means of putting this concept into effect and overcoming or minimizing some of the problems set out by the speakers in this Congress, such as pollution, prevention of acid rain, waste disposal. There are alternative methods and a harmless alternative methods for energy, and they're available. Alternative uses of water resources not involving vast inundations of land or displacing humans and its indigent wildlife, harnessing wave energy, solar energy, wind power, just to mention a few. 
to overcome the chilling, doom-laden prognostications of Dr. Irving Mincer's greenhouse effect. Perhaps it could be possible to utilize CO2, carbon dioxide, one of its main causes, to manufacture dry ice to maintain the polar caps and the actual temperature of the ice there and maintain their present temperature. Innovative and modern technology, world waste material collected and perhaps burnt in volcanic areas or buried so deep in the earth in the wilderness desert areas of the mid-Sahara where nobody goes or in the empty quarter in Arabia or the Gobi Desert. But all these ideas and visions, some far-fetched and above all, the continuation of this Congress needs money. A start has been made by the thoughts and care of one man. Michael Sweetman, his ideas have had lip service paid to them by some of our speakers here during the Ken Denver conference. The meetings now of the new concept of an international conservative banking, conservation banking program involves all sectors of the human community governmental and intergovernmental agencies, the public and private agencies, large charitable foundations, as well as ordinary individuals worldwide. Michael Sweetman has written the foreword to this concept. Its final form will no doubt be altered, watered down, or widened. But this convention must put forward this charter and with the collective wisdom available here today, the Charter can be enhanced, embracing those who have given their thoughts in the Denver Public Forum. By thinking forward as to how to reach out to the public at large, to every corporate entity throughout the world, to put aside, hopefully tax-free, a part of their profits to fund our ecological and environmental protection. Ladies and gentlemen, every country has its own problems, its indigenous peoples and its wildlife. This International Conservation Bank must know no frontiers, no boundaries. Its funds must be used constructively and not, and not to be challenged into greedy hands or weapons of destruction. I hesitate to link this bank with world wilderness, but I would like to link it with our survival as a human race. This, our generation, must not be cursed by our descendants, if we have any, as to the greatest destructors and squanderers of the world's resources. That great philosopher and cleric Tayyad de Chardin wrote, and I quote, Man can harness the winds, the waves, and the tides, but when he can harness the energy of love, then for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. Michael Sweetman. Michael Sweetman, your love for the world wilderness concept has given you the necessary fire in your belly to produce the germ of the future needs of this concept. 
and I have great pleasure in asking you to put it forward. We trust that you found this uh, information to be educational and thought-provoking. If you'd like to contact Emissary Publications, you may do so by writing to Emissary Publications, Post Office Box 294, Colton, C-O-L-T-O-N, Oregon, 97017. The telephone number is area code 503-824-2077. If you'd like to check out our website, you may do so at emissarypublications.com. Both skyscrapers are on fire. The evacuations have been underway. The United States on this day is under attack. Most did what they could to escape the rain of wreckage and smoke but others ran toward the burning building. Emergency first responders hoping to rescue the wounded. Hospitals throughout New York stood by, but few patients arrived. Today, the casualties from 9-11 are finally showing up. Everyone praises the dead as heroes, as they should. But there are more living suffering than dead. Detective James Zadroga. I put my gear on and jumped on the bike and uh, raced to the uh, South Tower. And, uh, you know, when I got off the Brooklyn Bridge, it was pretty bad. As soon as we hit West Side Highway, it looked like a war scene. And at that point, basically all we could hear was, you know, sirens. And I said that I'm an EMT, I should go down and help out, do whatever we can. I was set up for triage down below for kind of walking wounded as they came out. I had called my wife and I said, Laurie, something bad has happened in Royal Manhattan. I just want to call you to tell you that I'm okay. And just as I said, I'm okay, the line, all the lines went dead. I looked and I just saw this wall of black and gray coming at me. They knocked the wind out of me. I laid there. I had to catch my breath and try to catch your breath. You, you, you breathe it in this black cloud. You know, at that point you couldn't see, and uh, tried to clear up my eyes. You know, my eyes were burning. I was coughing. 
everybody was hacking and, and trying to get the stuff out of their eyes and everything because we don't know what the hell we just swallowed. If you were gagging, it would be, I'd show you this rag. If I shoved it down your throat, it would be the same thing. It was, you, you vomited, violently vomited from it. Grown men were crying in my arms, and uh, you know it was kind of it was a little difficult because I still didn't understand myself, you know, how serious it was. All I thought about was um, that I was going to die right there, and uh, it's funny. Like I thought. I didn't think about God. I thought about how selfish I was to do what I do for a living, that now my wife is going to be a widow and my kids are going to be... Sorry. <clears throat> that my kids were going to be orphans, you know? The dust cloud and the dust and the... I'll never forget the, the quietness of um, the, the, the office papers just you know, floating in the air. Three hundred and forty three firefighters and paramedics were killed in the line of duty that day in Lower Manhattan. Seventy eight police officers died. But hundreds of other uniformed men and women survived the worst attack ever suffered on American soil. At least they thought they had survived. Uh, you couldn't stop. You'd, you'd cough for like five minutes straight. You just couldn't stop coughing. You know, you try to fight it back, and it would just come. And this is the EpiPen that I carry. If I have an asthma attack and I'm not by uh, medication, I have to jab it into my thigh so I can get some relief. I was sick immediately. I spent uh, three days in Jamaica Hospital after 9-11 because I kept on having asthma attack after asthma attack. Do you have your other prescriptions? Did you pick them up? Which ones? The Levoxel. And I came home and I had a report back 7 in the morning to see a police surgeon. So I just came home, I showered, and I laid down. And when I woke up, I was totally blind. In the wake of the attacks, President Bush immediately signed a major disaster declaration activating the FRP, the Federal Response Plan. I want the entire country to know that of all of the employees at FEMA, everyone is absolutely working their hardest to do everything they can to bring all the federal resources to bear on this desperate situation. The Homeland Security Rules and Presidential Decision Directive 62 uh, mandates that the Environmental Protection Agency be the lead agency for the activities where there's a terrorist attack as it relates to environmental protection. Oh, I'm sorry. Christy Todd Whitman, the administrator of EPA, went to New York City and addressed the people there. We 
we've had concern, we're going to continue to monitor, but right now, as I will tell you, everything we're getting back from the sampling that we're doing is below background level. There is not a reason for the general public to be concerned. It's not going to be a particular hazard unless you have breathing difficulties, heart condition, and you just shouldn't be out here walking around and trying to get exercise, so that's not appropriate, obviously. Anybody with uh, half a brain would probably look at that cloud and say, this can't be good for you. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, when you're called to war, you don't say, well, I, I'm not going in there, you just go. But what exactly was in that burning pile where the World Trade Center once stood? According to final studies later published by the EPA and other government agencies, a devastating toxic soup containing more than 2,500 contaminants. Asbestos fibers, once inhaled, cannot be expelled by the lungs and cause various cancers. Benzene, another carcinogen, suppresses the immune system and can cause leukemia. Mercury is toxic to the nervous system and especially the kidneys. Lead and cadmium are toxic to the respiratory tract and can also cause irreparable kidney damage. Polycystic aromatic hydrocarbons are the chemicals in cigarettes that cause lung, laryngeal, and mouth and throat cancer. PCBs commonly cause severe skin rashes and can also cause liver damage. Tiny particulates in the dust itself lodge in the heart, causing ischemic heart disease, often fatal. You see two 110-story buildings collapse and nothing's more than small little pieces. Uh, where did the asbestos go? Where did all the concrete dust go? Where did all the fiberglass go? Where did all this go? And anybody could see that it went into the air. We had seen people being dragged off that pile, you know, eyes streaming, gasping and coughing and choking for breath. We knew very well that people were being exposed to irritant materials as well as cancer-causing agents, really from the start. And probably had um, health consequences that are unlikely to have been faced in other disasters. The EPA was quick to reassure everyone that the air was safe. Like right now, we're not getting any elevated levels that indicate concern. But given the chaos of those first days, how much could the EPA have really known about the contents of that chemical soup? In the early days, it was difficult for EPA to have access. The folks who wanted to go in and set up the monitors didn't have access. There were problems with electricity. There were problems because the equipment was not available, nor were the analysts available to do the work in the first few days following the collapse of the World Trade Center. So far, we have done over two dozen air samples. We're doing air monitoring, constant air monitoring. We've taken dust samples. In fact, by September 13th, the EPA had taken only 10 ambient air samples in Lower Manhattan, according to the EPA's own data published later. Well, if there's any good news out of all this, it's that uh, everything we've tested for, which includes asbestos, lead, and VOCs, have been below any level of concern for the general public health. Certain toxins had not been tested 
There were other contaminants of potential concern, and those included PCBs, PAHs, dioxin, and I believe some other metals. You cannot find what you don't look for. Uh, this is true. And um, the agency could have done a much better job of looking. It's not a health concern. Now, it's not nice. I'm not saying this smells nice. I'm not saying this is nice. But from a real health problem, we don't have to worry. But according to a report later issued by its inspector general, the EPA's reassuring public statements that week were not based on science. They were based on White House policy. The White House, the Council on Environmental Quality, EPA, and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration worked together on the press releases. The White House had the final word, so EPA did not feel that it had ownership of those press releases. The White House Council on Environmental Quality is headed by James Connaughton, who is not a scientist. He had been appointed to his post by President Bush only months before 9-11. His previous experience? representing large corporations in disputes about cleaning toxic waste sites, working against the EPA. White House uh, Council on Environmental Quality is not on this. They're not even a part. They shouldn't have been involved at all. We were told that CEQ had a desire to protect the national security and to get Wall Street open, and that was the reason that the press releases were changed. The original title of the EPA's September 13th press release was subtitled Testing Terrorized Sites for Environmental Hazards. The subtitle after the CEQ's revisions reassures public about environmental hazards. The original draft of the EPA's September 16th press release noted several debris samples that showed levels of asbestos ranging from 2.1 to 3.3 percent explaining that anything above 1% is defined as asbestos-containing material. At that point, the area should have been evacuated because we had a presumed assumption of hazard, and then testing should be, have been done and people allowed back in. Instead, when the statement was released, the CEQ had changed the wording. The debris samples were now described as containing small percentages of asbestos, slightly above the 1% trigger for defining asbestos material. Our work showed that more than 25% of the samples exceeded the 1% benchmark for asbestos. That's not a health-based benchmark. In fact, an EPA expert testified after 9-11 that a half a percent can be just as dangerous as 20% this one is wonderful. This, is, this was deleted from, from the draft. The concern raised by these samples would be for the workers at the cleanup site and for those workers who might be returning to their offices on Monday, September 17th. So you take out the part where people are told that they need to be concerned. When the president visited Ground Zero on that first weekend, his message was clear. This was not a time for caution, but for action. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
President of the United States made a PR visit to Ground Zero and didn't wear his respirator, giving the false impression to the people that it was safe not to wear a respirator. President of the United States himself gave that false impression. There appeared to be a great motive to return everything back to normal as quickly as possible, uh, particularly in the financial district. I'm looking forward to getting back to work. Do you know the condition of your office? I believe we're fine. I've been told we're fine. I live down here. I haven't been back home, but I know that it'll be fine. We're told that they have checked the air quality and that it's all right, but uh, I'm always dubious about something like that. I'm hoping it's all right. I'm not happy being in the area. Ladies and gentlemen, our heroes will now open the marketplace. The green button. On September 18th, EPA Administrator Christine Whitman released a sweeping statement clearly designed to get America back to work, saying, Given the scope of the tragedy from last week, I am glad to reassure the people of New York and Washington, D.C. that their air is safe to breathe. I was horrified. We knew that she couldn't have been addressing all the irritants that were present in the air, and we knew that very little monitoring had been done at that, at that time. And I strongly suspected that it had economic and political motivations rather than it being based on a real concern for public health. The air quality is safe and acceptable. And um, I know there are people that are concerned about it and people that um, are worried about it, but that, that's, um, that's just the reality. If the mayor says it's okay, then I believe him. It's okay. With Wall Street open for business, others who worked in the area were expected to return to their jobs. People were brought back into contaminated areas when they should not have been. They were put at tremendous risk. So when we returned to the offices, there was dust all over the inside. There were three to five inches of dust on the window seals, and the windows were old anyway, so the dust kept seeping in, in through the windows. We were stuck with that for six months. And at the beginning of the disaster, a number of my colleagues were walking around at work, like me, wearing a heap of respirator on their face. But you can imagine trying to talk on the telephone and practice law when you're wearing one of these. I sound like Darth Vader, frankly, when I'm wearing one of these. Within months, workers in the area began to report respiratory illnesses. And they were being transferred out or relocated because they were coming down with asthma. Sometime in January, I started with the nosebleed. And then I started to get this soreness in my chest. At this point, I have become allergic to every known antibiotic. I have had so many episodes of bronchitis and pneumonia that I am now allergic to everything. At Ground Zero, an army of workers and volunteers, over 5,000 people per day, began a cleanup process that would last for months. Below their feet, the fires continued to smolder until December of 2001. We had a slow motion incinerator that for three months burned at ground level, creating computer parts and so on into a fine aerosol the people above it were breathing. 
It was laughable to police officers and firefighters on that pile to say the air was safe to breathe. There was particles in the air for months after. I personally feel that once the situation had come where there were no more people to be rescued, they should have put a barbed wire fence around the entire site and then put the fires out. Why the heck was there this enormous rush to clean the site up? For heaven's sake, make the site safe and then clean it up. I went down in the pit to, to tunnel rat and look for victims and I started, uh, I was suffocating and I thought how ironic that I, I beat that building, that I survived and, and I'm going to suffocate in this hole because I thought I was dying. I was not given a, a respirator. I don't know if anybody in my firehouse was given a respirator. If they were, they weren't working with me. We were not equipped with the proper breathing equipment. Just to start, the basic protection that you would see on a construction site or any kind of place with its materials in the air, we did not have them. And we never had the proper materials for weeks and weeks after that. I was given a respirator, I think, when I went in February. And it was cumbersome. It just got in your way. We were digging for, for bodies. We were digging, and it was hard work. I probably didn't wear it most of the time because they had told us that it was okay. When the White House sends a message out saying the air is clear, we tend to believe it. No one was allowed into the Pentagon cleanup without the proper respirators, without uh, washing down so there would not be air release. But in World Trade Center, it was totally opposite. People were allowed on-site without any protective gear or with paper masks or with the wrong respirators and were allowed to work with their respirators off. If they had told me and told my friends and told the cops and told the iron workers, you got to wear this or you're going to die, everybody would have worn it. You'd be a fool not to. It was months before any systematic decontamination procedures were put in place. You don't leave a site without doing a vehicle washdown, uh, without assuring that you're not literally taking decontamination from the site proper and, and spreading it. There was nothing about decontamination probably till November. I remember going to eat lunch someplace and they made us walk through a bath. That really brought it home to me, like, you know, why are they decontaminating us now? You know, it's a, it's a little late for this, isn't it? And, you know, they never told you, you know, throw your clothes in the garbage, wash them, wash them separately, you know. That was it. And, you know, to this day, that baffles me. I saw a couple of people walking around with uh, surgical masks and things of that sort, but I never got one. Detectives John Wolcott and Richard Volpe spent months combing through World Trade Center wreckage at the Fresh Kills landfill on Staten Island. We'd go out and with rakes and shovels and stuff and just go through all the debris looking for, you know, body parts and different things of that sort to uh, make identifications. The, the weird thing was it was very cold when we were up there. I believe it was, it was in the middle of the winter, but the ground wasn't frozen. The ground kind of like bubbled underneath your feet, which was kind of strange to me. Uh, like, that can't be healthy. You know, you're coughing a lot. I mean, for days after, we're coughing up blood and different things like that. 
After 9-11, I developed a cough, nasal congestion, congestion, burning in my ears really bad, and I really never thought about it. I went to the doctors. I tried not to go out sick. And then I went on vacation in 2004 with my family, uh, and I came back to my 40th birthday. told me I had a mass in my chest. And I'm not crying for myself. I cry for my family because I'm worried about them being without me. I can't breathe. My throat is constantly sore. I have mercury in my system and God knows what else. And this is short term. What will happen five to ten years from now? No one knows. Detective James Adroga. I expect that the health you know, sort of experts are really going to have a challenge to determine what's going on with these people over time. Uh, I went home and started to cut the grass. One time I had to actually stop and sit down and catch my breath. And I knew that wasn't good. Because I could feel that I had like smoke inhalation and I coughed quite a bit and I coughed up a lot of it, but I never felt better. And one of my first patients, maybe the very first was John Graham, who was a health and safety expert for the Carpenters Union and also an EMT. He had developed very severe shortness of breath, chest tightness, wheezing, a full picture of asthma that we were afraid was going to occur among these responders. He also had clear evidence of sinus problems with severe headaches, nasal congestion, facial pressure, post-nasal drip. So he had the full picture of sinusitis as well. Nice and deeply. Mouth open. Good. Slowly. In August of 2002, Dr. Stephen Levin and his colleagues at Mount Sinai Hospital launched the World Trade Center Screening Program. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Well, the screening program was established really as a way to evaluate people's health status as a result of what they had done and what they had been exposed to at Ground Zero um, and to make sure that people got referred for appropriate care. By the time the formal screening program ended in 2004, we had seen nearly 12,000, just a few shy of 12,000. In a way, John confirmed for us all of the concerns that we had about what this responder group was at risk for. That's a lot of pills. Uh, it's progressed. The asthma and the reactive airway disease and the burns in my esophagus and lungs were initial. And now with the sinuses and the reflux, and the heart are relatively new, I would say in the last three to four months. I took my medicine and I didn't have enough to eat. I was just back from the doctor and I just getting sick. I don't think that I'm going to get much better than it is today. You know, I want to try to do it whatever I can to get whatever time I have left to be the most valuable.
I have uh, obstructive airway disease. Um, from what I understand, it's, it's asthma, but it's not asthma. It's not my lungs, it's my airway. After going through the Mount Sinai 9-11 uh, monitoring program, they found uh, about a half a dozen uh, nodules on my lungs, and uh, they found something on my kidney. For two years after he worked the pile, firefighter Tim Duffy avoided going to the doctor until an injury forced a visit. I knew because of my lung situation that I should stay away from them as long as possible, and I had stayed away. The fire department doctor just looked me straight in the eye and said, you're done. And I said, I can go home now? And he said, no, you're done. You're never going back to the firehouse. And I was crushed. I was crushed. It, it is what it is. You take this test, your lungs are bad, you're done. They kicked me off the job. I didn't look to get off the job. You know, you try to do the right thing for your family, you know. Um, trying to build them something here that when I'm gone, you know, that she has something. I don't think I'll ever be able to go back into the workforce. I'm such a liability. I don't know anybody that'd hire me medically. One doctor in particular came out and told me that, you know, unfortunately myself and the guys that were with me that day and digging, um, we were all going to come down with some form of cancer within 10, 5, 10, 15 years and we'd all be dead. When is your surgery? Oh, we find out Thursday. Oh, okay. It's uh, about two or three times a week he goes to the doctor. I have uh, lung scarring. I have uh, growths that are getting bigger in my lungs. Uh, the beginning is emphysema. Long-term possibility is cancer. How are you feeling? Uh, considering very well. He suffers from um, pulmonary post-inflammatory bronchitis. It's a lot of scarring and um, inflammation that we think is attributable to uh, the uh, inhalation of the noxious dust. His lungs function only 60% of what we would predict for somebody his age and size. Our blood test, honey. Yeah, let me go get those blood tests. Okay. I was having chest pains, and I, I had it rechecked, and now I need a from perfect heart to a quadruple bypass, which I'm having in a week or two. All right, I have your blood test. I thought that I was going to be able to tell you that your um, heart disease and your cholesterol problem is all genetic but the blood tests really don't suggest that. So it, it would really? suggest that there might be something else going on. You know, we could talk about diet, but um, I think we'll have to... Vegetarian. Uh, I, I know. I've never smoked in my life. been a vegetarian over 30 years. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. And, uh, 43 and I'm having a quadruple bypass. What's causing that? And where'd that come from? If you die, from being down at 9-11, of course, it's not going to be chalked up to 9-11. It's a pre-existing condition. Excuse me. I, I don't buy it. You can see, as I'm taking it out, the dust is coming up. As time has gone on, I've had more symptomology, more illnesses. In 2003, I was hospitalized for three and a half weeks because they couldn't find out what was wrong with me. 
and they did a spinal tap to try to catch the toxins as they were moving through my system and they weren't able to trace it. This, this is my sanity coming out and dealing with the, the rose bushes. You know, you got to find beauty in something because when you're in pain every day, you got to have something to, to look forward to. I have nasal problems. I have <coughs> uh, the asthma. I have nerve damage. I have sciatica. I have limited use of my left side. Because I'm chemically sensitive, because of all the stuff I was uh, <laughs> exposed to, the toxins I was exposed to down in 9-11, I had to strip all these walls down. I had to bleach them down, ammonia so I could put up a paint that was not going to cause me any type of reactions. And then the carpet has to be hypoallergenic and it's got special padding so the allergens don't get trapped. And here is my happy HEPA filter. It goes 24-7 because if I don't have the HEPA filter, I don't breathe too well. And the big thing with asthma at this point is it's enlarging people's hearts because when you have an asthma attack, it has to compensate for the fact that you can't breathe. So now people who have asthma down uh, at ground zero are worrying about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which all has to do with breathing. All EMS is left in the dust, just like this left on here. It's all dust. All of us left in the dust. One of the EPA's federal mandates is to lead cleanup efforts following a toxic disaster. But they did not take responsibility for cleaning up inside the buildings near Ground Zero until May of 2002. How can you send people back into this area, into this community, and you ain't even tested the dust? Instead, the agency dispensed advice. If you go back home and you have a dusty environment, get yourself a certified asbestos um, cleanup operation to, to help you with it. Um, and if you've just got a minimal amount of dust, um, use wet mops, use wet cloths so that, you know, just in case there's anything there, you're getting it out. For the indoor air, there was some confusion. The EPA said that it did not uh, early on participate in the indoor air regulatory activities uh, because the city of New York said that it didn't want to help. Uh, that's what EPA said. The city of New York said that was wrong, that it would have accepted any help it could have gotten. to reopen the building. That was all part of the general spirit of the time, which was, let's show the terrorists, let's get back up into downtown, you know, get back up on the horse. They told us they cleaned the ventilation system. Everybody goes back into the building. The media show up. Look at these brave kids. Aren't they a model for us all? And then later we find out the ventilation system was not clean. So the kids are inhaling deeply this toxic dust. Um, there were signs of illness very early on. There were rashes, nosebleeds, new onset asthma that can last the rest of their lives, chronic sinusitis. Some of the kids were taking um, medication that included steroids, uh, and chemical bronchitis, chronic bronchitis. The list goes on and on. 
We know that there are people, both adults and children, who developed asthma as a result of coming back to that area too soon. We know that there are some people who are still working or living in environments that are still contaminated, and this material can be resuspended into the air to cause additional health consequence. The residents who, who live near the area, who believe the government, run a high risk of health effects 20 years down the line, including cancer. The, uh, the workers already are experiencing serious health effects from working there and believing EPA and the government. The obvious response was to presume that the area was heavily polluted and needed to be tested and cleaned. The EPA refused to make that presumption except for one place, the EPA's offices in the area. The EPA Region 2's offices were cleaned in an entirely different way than Ground Zero was, uh, and um, frankly more protectively. EPA did want to put some statements in some of those early press releases about how to do the cleanups, but that information was deleted from the press releases, again by CEQ. Now, obviously, if the EPA treated us the way they treated themselves, they would have cleaned up first and asked questions later. Just taking some dust samples, and it's in this little lab to analyze this lead and several other toxins that are out there. Joel Kupferman is co-counsel in a class action lawsuit filed by a number of residents, office workers, students, and firefighters from Lower Manhattan. The suit names Christine Todd Whitman personally, as well as other EPA officials, claiming that they allowed thousands of people to return to their homes and workplaces in Lower Manhattan with no proper cleanup having occurred. Someone that lives at 150 Franklin Street, a person named Linda Caspi, came to us saying that she's really concerned about possible asbestos contamination. She lives on the top floor, and we discovered dust right in the elevator shaft. Uh, we tested, and we came up with 2.6% asbestos. And then the guy from EPA said, are you sure you didn't plant this here? And I said, plant it? <laughs> where would I find it? I, where would I find asbestos? You know? The Deutsche Bank building, right next to Ground Zero, was damaged beyond repair in the attacks and scheduled for demolition. Massive quantities of World Trade Center dust permeated the entire structure. Today I'm releasing documents that show extraordinary levels of contamination present in the Deutsche Bank building. It would be nothing short of criminal negligence if we do not make certain that this teardown is done correctly so that we don't risk thousands of additional cases of respiratory distress and other diseases. It's nothing you can just kind of vacuum and scrub up. So it, it's going to be a problem when they take that building down. And it's going to be just like deja vu all over again. The demolition has been indefinitely postponed. The toxic legacy of the World Trade Center remains piled inside. I got the kids with me, and I'm in uniform, and we're, we're on one of the higher levels, and we hear uh, the North Tower get hit, and we go over into the window and look at it, and the tower's on fire, and I'm like, oh my God, we got to get out of here, and as we go to leave, we look, and we see the other plane coming. We go to go hit the uh, stairs, and the stairs are just packed with people. 
and I'm trying to hold on to my two kids. And, you know, I'm looking, things getting closer and closer, and I'm yelling at everybody, you know, I got two kids, let them through, let them through. And then I hear a loud crash. I wake up in a cold sweat. He doesn't go to sleep. He's afraid to go to sleep. He's still afraid to go to sleep. You need to go to sleep. It's like I said, it's, it's like going into a haunted house, you know, a fun house. You never know what's going to jump out at you. Mm -hmm. right? It's like that falling asleep. It's like a, a waiting cat ready to pounce. Chris Bauman's bypass heart surgery has been successful. That recovery will be slow. Healing is doing fine. There's no infection. Uh, they had to crack open the sternum, remove the sternum, so that, that's got to heal. That takes uh, several months. While I was in there, I was having problems with my breathing. We actually met a specialist that's going to start looking into uh, my lung problems. And uh, I had a CAT scan done, and they had found two spots on it. So he's going to do further investigation on that once this is healed. This is August 18th of 2004. It's now 2006, and it's about $7,000 bills of a super never paid. Well, it took four years, but they finally put me out on a uh, disability pension. I got some of my lung stuff in there. You got to fight, and it's like fighting for scraps from a dog, you know. Where'd you find that? I don't even know who Bill will take. I guess one of the next questions. This is the city looks at it as a bottom line financial situation. They have to reduce their liability. That's wrong. There's no police officer that's going to stand up and say, I'm sick and deserve a pension from September 11th. It's not the cut of our character. You're not going to find it. Where? Where? What they should be doing to these police officers that come in and say they're ill is to take them in, first off, treat them with respect, but then give them the treatment that they deserve. Money takes over people. Now, that, that's basically what it came to with the government. Now, let's get Wall Street going, let's get the money flowing, let's get the system flowing, and uh, you know, as people die off, oh well. Right now, I don't know. You know everything I had planned out, everything I had drawn out that I wanted to do. I, I look to my future and I see a stop sign. I see a big stop sign. My 11.99 union, I had insurance through there. Okay, this is the first cancellation of my benefits. It says it was canceled June 2nd, 2004. But if you look, the date that I got the letter was August 17th, 2004. They canceled my insurance two months prior to notifying me. They, they take it away, they give it back to me. They take it away, they give it back to me. They take it away, they give it back to me. And it's always, a, I'm tired of fighting. That's 20 grand worth of bills sitting there. That pile there is... Oh, close to 10 grand. Workman's comp, you get $400 a week, and you get a check every two weeks when it shows up, if it shows up. I mean, right now, Workman's comp, um, they're two checks behind with me. I just got Social Security disability recently. That was a big fight. Everything that you try to do, whether it's an application process or, or whether it's, it's a benefit that you're entitled to, you have to fight for. You know what? I'd love to go out and work. But you know what? Physically, I can't.
On the, the morning of September 14th, I was on the pile on the South Tower. I saw an enormous swatch of red, and all of a sudden I called everybody, and five or six guys came around me. As, as, as we dug further, we had, we had seen white and then a corner of blue with a star, and the thing was enormous. It was the actual flag that was flying on top of the towers that came down. I got a commendation from President Bush. The four-man rescue team was recognized for recovering the flag. Mike McCormick has reactive airway disease, gastroesophageal reflux, nodules on his left lung, and chronic sinusitis. But in order to receive workman's compensation, a judge needs proof that he was even there, despite his citation from President Bush. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth? Nothing but the truth, so I'll be done. So, my God, I was there from three hours from after the buildings went down, and I spent about two or three hours a day on the pile giving out supplies and so forth. Where did you sleep when you were down there? Down at Battery Park. In what, where, in what facility, what type of facility? In the Humvee. In terms of awards, we'll make the following findings. From October 20, 2004 to date and continuing, the claim will be paid at a rate of $200 per week. The claimant can be classified as having a permanent partial disability. After over a year and a half, Mike McCormick has finally won part of the workman's compensation coming to him. Others have not been so successful. Every time you go back for a review, it's three or four months. 90 days, 90 days, 90 days. Wow. It's years of 90 days. EMT technician John Graham has petitioned the workman's comp board three times. When I first started this, I was a lot more aggressive. I had a lot more strength, and now I see their plan. It's kind of like, wait, they'll go away because they'll lose their strength. And what is most horrible is that so many of our patients have had to fight for a year, two years, to get treatment money in addition to wage replacement, and then when they're successful, the maximum they can get is $400 a week. I'm angry. Um, I'm angry that... Um, People can't move quicker. You know, like Social Security, come on, guys. Are you going to give it to me post-mortem? John's mounting bills forced him to rent out his home to tenants. He moved into a basement next door. The last time we spoke, mm -hmm. you had a nice house right next right. door, right? Right. I'm not really, as you can see, I'm not really that uh, needy. I can, I can live just a little place to lay my head, but... It's still <coughs> very difficult. And this living situation I'm in now is not uh, any good for my health at all. It's cold, it's damp, it's unheated, it's unlit. It's, I guess it's pretty, it's close, it's close to homeless as you can get with still having a roof over your head. I'm on uh, medication to... Uh, lower the pressure of my kidneys. My kidneys have a tremendous amount of pressure on them and they've kind of um, imploded. Uh, they're bleeding and leaking protein and, and that kind of stuff.
I don't want to live here. I mean, does living here make you depressed? Does being in this room make you depressed? Uh, uh, <laughs> the same kind of illnesses are seen in both groups, whether they came on 9-11 itself or came, let's say, at some point in latter October to join the rescue and recovery efforts. I believe it was like six or eight months after September 11. Basically, I was having chest pains and shortness of breath. And uh, they did blood work, and the blood work came out so bad that they thought it was a mistake. Detective Richard Volpe has contracted a rare kidney disease. Right now, I'm uh, well below 50% function in both my kidneys. Are they going to be able to do a transplant or help you? Well, they're going to, I mean, I'm going to have to be put on a list, but usually it takes about five years before they can find a donor. So I'll probably end up on dialysis before. It's irreversible, the damage. Didn't really say His why. partner, Detective John Wolcott, went to the hospital after collapsing from shortness of breath. I found it very weird that I was asked uh, a whole handful of questions about was I ever exposed to radiation or benzene. And I never really put two and two together until somebody at the hospital says, I don't remember being exposed to benzene. That's an airline fuel. And all that green stuff you saw bubbling out in the landfill for months, that's radiation. He's been diagnosed with leukemia. It's hard, I mean, you know, my daughter wants to, she's two years old, so she's active and she doesn't understand why I can't play with her 100% or whatever. I mean, it took seven months for me to even lift it. They're both guys in their late 30s. One has kidney failure, one has leukemia. The only thing they had in common, other than being in immensely physically good shape and health, etc., is they worked for five months together, hand in hand, at fresh kills. In September of 2004, David Warby filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of first responders who had fallen ill. And that has been the government response. Wait, deny, wait, deny, wait, deny. Back then, he had a few hundred clients. Today, the lawsuit includes over 8,100 police officers, firefighters, and rescue workers from 9-11, all of whom have fallen ill as a result of toiling in the toxic ruins. All of these array of blood cell cancers in the people I have who are alive, and some of the people I have, have, have whom are no longer alive, are statistically so overwhelming that it couldn't have been from anything else but this exposure. The suit specifically names the various companies hired by New York City to oversee the removal of 1.2 million tons of debris, claiming that more safety precautions should have been used to protect workers from the World Trade Center dust. When you have a carcinogen, such as benzene, and you have dioxin, which accelerates the carcinogen, and then you have lead and mercury, which act as immunosuppressants, all functioning at the same time, that which used to take 10 years to get in leukemia or cancer can take two years. Warby and his clients are seeking compensation and funding, not just to screen World Trade Center workers for illnesses, but to treat them as well. I think that there will be long-term health effects, everything from uh, mesothelioma, these uh, awful respiratory illnesses, cancers, uh, leukemia. Whoever held authority needs to be accountable for what was not done. They told me it was safe. They told thousands of my coworkers that it was safe. And they're all sick now. And they're not helping us. Well. You're talking to a Native American. <laughs>
I once said, I think uh, a few weeks after having the job, uh, I, I let it slip. I said, oh, um, I didn't know the government uh, treats all people like Indians. <laughs> in the class action suit filed against Christine Whitman by those living and working in Lower Manhattan, there has been a development. There is not a reason for the general public to be concerned. In February of 2006, federal judge Deborah Betts denied the former EPA administrator immunity, writing that Whitman's deliberate and misleading statements made to the press shocks the conscience. Her landmark ruling sets a precedent for holding federal officials personally responsible for making official statements that might endanger the public. All of us know that many, many people lost their lives on 9-11, yet many, many more lost their health. This is a long-term problem. Thousands are sick today, and they will probably need care for decades to come. Rescue workers in the future will be influenced by how the rescue workers were treated. If they learn that you run to a fire and you risk your life and you become sick and there's no medical care for you, I, I think that's a very dangerous message to put out to the American rescue uh, volunteer and professional field. They don't want to acknowledge the sick who are living. I'm not the only one out there. Detective James Adroga. Can you welcome Joseph Adroga? Thank you. Uh, I hope I can get through this. <clears throat> I'm the father of James Adroga, who was my son, but mostly he was my best friend. <clears throat> On 9-11, he arrived home to tell his wife that the towers were just struck. He told his wife, who was seven months pregnant with a child, that he had to return to work. James stated to me, Many times, that was one of the hardest things he could ever do. But he told her it was his job, and he had to go, and he could never live with himself if he did it. Detective James Adroga worked almost 500 hours at Ground Zero with virtually no protection. You know, a paper mask did absolutely nothing. He said within five minutes they were clogged up or he sweated and he said half the time he couldn't even wear it. He said because it just didn't last. Uh, he, he did express one story to me that he saw a, a lieutenant driver walking by with five masks and he, uh, respirators and he asked her, the lieutenant if he could have one of the respirators and the, rest, the lieutenant said no, this is, uh, I can't give you one, this is for the brass, you know. Saw it developed as they called the World Trade Center cough in October, which was roughly a month later. He started coughing, going to the doctor, thinking he had a, you know, cold or flu or croup or whatever. Uh, you know, he's doing nebulizer three times a day. He was a acid reflux. He had uh, stomach problems. He had throat problems. He had short-term memory loss at this time. On January 5th, 2006, Detective Zadroga succumb to black lung disease. When I went upstairs that morning on the 5th, I saw him laying on the floor. I mean, I knew right away he was dead as soon as I opened the door. Uh, the baby was fell asleep in his room that night on the bed, watching television with him, so she was on the bed. I was on the floor with him, 
And the baby wakes up and says, what's the matter? And I say, your father's gone. James Adroga's death was widely reported as the first fatality officially linked to toxic exposure at Ground Zero. Many do not believe that he was the first, and fear he will not be the last. What's scary about that is that we all spent time down there, and after Felix passed away, and now Debbie, and numerous others, um, we're all pretty frightened as to who's next. We've had deaths we don't want anymore. We have sicknesses we want no more. We want the information so that we can make educated medical decisions. This is an outrage to treat people this way. Not to be able to make sure that they are taken care of, to watch their lives be disrupted, turned upside down, watch them worry about whether they're going to be able to pay the mortgage, whether they're going to be able to keep their kids in school. These people deserve better than that. Stop the lies. Please, stop lying to people. Um, I know it would have cost more money to do it differently. I know it would have cost more money, and maybe it wouldn't have been in the best interest of the security of the country to keep Wall Street closed for another couple of weeks and, and that kind of stuff, but it's not fair to kill people. Yeah, we were basically ignored and forgotten. I don't know. The old stand behind your president no matter what because he's the leader of your country is been changed in my mind. I still believe you respect the title, but you can't respect the man anymore. We're neglected. We're absolutely neglected. We are the dust that they're trying to sweep away and hope it's going to blow away. We have become the lost souls and the dust that are still left at ground zero.
Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adas, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. For Wednesday, September 30th, 2015, Wendy Wilson will be here shortly uh, to, uh, to fill us in on uh, all kinds of things regarding your health, how to stay healthy, and she's got a great product, so if if you haven't talked to Wendy Wilson, make sure you give her a call after the program today. Good afternoon, Wen- uh, Good afternoon, Al. Good afternoon, Melody. Uh, it's just been one of those days. And you mean like a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, no, a Friday? It's been, no, no, no. It's just been a little one more hectic. It's been a little bit more hectic today uh, here at Discount Gold and Silver Trading. Uh, people are still taking advantages of the silver. Uh, we have uh, uh, great buys on the uh, one-ounce silver ca- kangaroos, so they can give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. Let's go ahead and get right to the prices so we can bring Wendy on the program. Gold today is another pressure day on gold, 1160 to the downside at $1,117. Silver's down $0.09 today at $1,465. Platinum was down eight dollars at nine hundred and thirteen, and palladium was down five at six hundred and fifty-six dollars. The USDX today, of course, is stronger, point three nine, ninety-six thirty. Crude oil higher by eleven cents, forty-five thirty-four, and paper markets today. Um, they they're they're liking the last day of uh, September, the the last day of the third quarter, up two hundred and thirty-five points. They need a little bit of window dressing come these quarterly statements, you know, so they're not really being creamed. 16,284, the NASDAQ up 102 points, two and a quarter percent at 4620. S&P up 35 at 1920. 10-year yield, 2.06. 
euro, 112, down 0.67. And, of course, uh, the world is just happy once again. Uh, London and Germany both, both up big, over 2%. Japan was up uh, almost 3%. And um, we'll talk about the markets and uh, some interesting stories when we get back uh, from the first break today. Right now we have Wendy Wilson joining us from Apothecary Herbs. Good afternoon, Wendy. Yeah. Well, maybe they're having some technical difficulties. Which is which is a euphemism for somebody missed is up. Slipping, is sleeping. Mm-hmm. But um, and I know the last time I believe she was on, there was a little bit of a problem um, not connecting. That was just uh, she was muted for some reason. Well, but hey, let's go ahead and uh, until she gets on. Um, there's going to be some changes in the health care. Yeah. It does show that she is connected, but we do not hear her. Okay, well, we've made a first step here. We have a connection. We just don't have sound. Do you know what it sounds like to me? Somebody's got a mute button besides you, Melody. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, is, you know this is evidence. This has something to do with women having headsets. It's kind of like women drivers and women headset operators. I, I think maybe that's what's happening here. Maybe, maybe. <clears throat> but until they get that problem uh, settled, we can talk about the health care overhaul. It's calling for a forty percent tax starting in twenty eighteen, and uh, there's going to be lots of changes coming for corporations. And there's going to be changes in people that uh, get uh, insurance from their employees. Um, is she there yet? No, but Frank has taken responsibility. Well. Mm-hmm. Does he have an anyway. insurance policy to cover these kinds of problems? Anyway, so hello, we're looking at hello, the- hello. Are, are we on? Yes, yes we, are. we are. Go ahead, now. Wendy. Awesome. Technology is fab, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, how it is usually everybody? is. It usually is, but every once in a while, it reminds you that it's not perfect. Okay. Well, I thought we'd talk about something really weird, and you may have experienced it, Melanie and Al. You ever experienced your blood run cold? It feels like ice water running through your veins. I saw Dracula one time. Hello, <laughs> Lucosi, Juan Cheney yeah. Jr. Okay. Is that what I'm talking about. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, some, some people experience this feeling as if their blood's running cold through their body. It is a very strange sensation, and it, and it may make people feel more anxious. Uh, but in a majority of the cases, it's a very temporary sensation. It doesn't last very long. It's gone in a few moments. So when this happens, do you think we should have cause for alarm, or is this a good or bad thing? Or is there maybe some sort of strange health condition we should be worried about? Uh, so next time it happens, though, you might want to notice the, the, the situation you find yourself in because that may be the key. Now, according to science, the human body freezes at 23 to 28 degrees Fahrenheit. However, we're, in this instance, we're not talking about hypothermia or, or the blood literally freezing. Science states that you could experience the sensation of your blood uh, feeling cold uh, it's a protective mechanism, they say. So when you're frightened, as you mentioned, Al, 
or you may be in a life-or-death situation, the body releases hormones into the blood, epinephrine and cortisol. So when these hormones meet, there's this chemical reaction that takes place, and it sends a message throughout the body to react quickly. And this message has uh, a metabolism shift. So the metabolism shifts like digestion will stop and more energy uh, through the blood and oxygen will go to your muscles, your heart, brains, and lung. So uh, you feel much stronger when that happens, stronger than normal. And you've probably heard it described as a fight-or-flight response. So this all makes uh, sense, but, you know, it still doesn't tell me what the cold sensation is in the veins. Do you want to take a guess, Al, what it is? I imagine. I, I can't, well, I don't believe that your, your blood is actually cold, so it's got to be, I assume it has to be something psychosomatic. It's in your mind more so than actually in your brains, but that's just a guess. What's the answer? Well, according to science, when those hormones are released and you have that chemical reaction, it also um, restricts uh, some of the artery, arteries of your body, so it, it's called vasoconstriction arterioles. And what this does is it, it boosts your blood pressure in, in a skinny minute really quickly, and that causes that cold sensation that you feel. So it's a basically to, you know, um, you know, get you ready for some sort of emergency reaction and your blood pressure is, you know, sped up. So, um, so if you get scared, science says you could experience this cold-blooded sensation. Um, and I, I wondered if this was the same thing adrenaline junkies uh, go for, you know. But science says no, not really. Uh, you can be scared maybe riding a roller coaster, skydiving, or watching a scary movie like you mentioned, Al. But the situation for your blood to run cold, uh, your brain has to perceive that you're about to lose control of a situation, and uh, that's going to initiate that cold-blooded feeling. <laughs> this is, right? is kind of like Janet Yellen, then. She, her blood ran cold when she was giving that speech last week. <laughs> well, um, so I, I was even curious to what level of scared would make your blood run cold. Uh, so, yeah, so now I'm telling you, science has got this down. They said that the requirement would be that your brain has to perceive something terrifying. So the medical textbooks describe that level of fear as, quote, dread bordering on hysteria or a sense of impending destruction, end of quote. So, so uh, like if my ex-wife showed up. <laughs> Now, now, Al. Okay, now, if you ever had a bad dream, now, this is interesting, too. If you had to have a bad dream where someone close to you becomes fatally injured or you lose them, uh, you may uh, wake up feeling like your blood's running cold, you know? Uh, so you, your, your brain interprets this, uh, at, you know, your, your, your subconscious interprets this as real and terrifying, so that's why that happens. So, but when you wake up, you go, oh. That was just an awful dream, and then the chilliness goes away, so your blood pressure drops and you go back to normal. So when you get these cold sensations like that, uh, you, you could also be very anxious. You know, people with, you know, anxiety disorders can feel this on a regular basis because they often feel like they're losing control of the situation and they're fearful. So a flood of emotions is a, a flood of chemicals. So different emotions can bring about different chemical reactions in our body. Now, science has actually tested our tears, Al, Melanie, to find different chemicals in them because 
they are pro- they are a product of different emotions like joy, relief, pain, gladness. Uh, so, for instance, tears of joy contain what is called oxytocin. It's a hormone, whereas tears of sadness do not. And also, emotional tears contain more protein, whereas if you were cutting an onion, that's irritant tears, and they will have 30 times more manganese. So manganese? Well, yeah. So science says uh, they've learned that emotional tears, you know, uh, emotional tears contain more lubricants, hormones, and salt. So, you know, <clears throat> if you're sad, bereavement, that kind of thing, the, your your tears will be we have more lubricants and hormones and salt. So if you have ever experienced a, a feeling of helplessness, this will produce a different set of chemicals, and the blood may feel cold, but you won't have that fight-or-flight sensation. So instead, you may experience a sensation of head pressure <clears throat> instead with the cold-bloodedness, but it's not a headache. Uh, the sensation in the head can produce an overwhelming feeling of emotions, and then you can't think straight. You're, you know, you just, you just can't focus. So some people may even be uh, hyper. They may hyperventilate at that point, and could it could be described as ha- them having an, an anxiety attack. So situations of anxiety, uh, people usually, you know, grab some sort of drug <clears throat> to calm their nerves, but it's really only addressing a symptom and not the cause. So when anxiety uh, when the body interprets uh, the situation as stressful and in some cases even fearful and anxious, uh, if your body's anxious, you could break out into a cold sweat. Have you ever experienced that, Al? No, not really, and I've never experienced my blood running cold either. I, in fact, I'd always thought that was just sort of an old wives' tale or whatever. Uh, no. I, I'm surprised to even learn that that's a real phenomenon. Yes, it is. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. experienced it when I had a bad dream you know, where I, someone close to me died. And, and you know, I kind of came out of the dream uh, almost in a sobbing state. It was felt so real to me. And, and, and I, when I woke up, I felt like my blood was on the chilly side, so it was weird. But, um, but if, you, if, you get, if you break out into a cold sweat, um, actually you, you also have more adrenaline hormone in the blood, and it tends to heat up the surface temperature of your body and then when the air when it hits the air it cools off and this is what produces that cold sweat feeling now a common emotion before that kicks in is anxiety or fear and um, some people will get uh, you ever hear people say I had a cold chill up the spine yeah I think I understand what they mean there it's... yeah well usually fear can bring that on or something very unpleasant. Uh, medical science is really not completely sure what causes that sensation, but uh, they think it may be also involving adrenaline release. Now, people with anxiety, panic attacks, panic attacks, obsessive disorders tend to be more sensitive to environmental conditions and temperature changes. So a majority of people really don't notice these changes, and um, me- medical science states that that obsessive compulsive disorders and stuff this is kind of a side effect condition for them so people with anxiety may interpret a change in cooler temperatures in the room as an indication of something's wrong so someone with anxiety disorder who and there's a two degree cooler temperature flux can experience a whole body shiver whereas the majority of people wouldn't even notice or at the most they would just grab their sweater so it's just weird now 
Have you ever checked your anxiety level, Al? Well, I wouldn't know how to exactly. Okay. Well, if if the folks signed up for the newsletter that that goes out, the American Survival Newsletter, uh, there's a hyperlink in there for an anxiety test, so they can sign up at thepowerherbs.com or on um, Discount Gold and Silver Trading's website. Uh, but what it is is you're going to go to comclinic.com, and there's a very brief uh, anxiety test. It's free, and um, only take you five minutes. And um, you want your score to be below a 40, okay? Uh, so I took it, and I got two scores. One was a seven, and one was a three. So I'm on the almost not anxious uh, radar there. So, but um, that's un-American. You don't understand what's going on then, do you? <laughs> well, well, the thing I mean, is, if you're not anxious under current circumstances, you're not paying attention. That's all. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I do understand that. You know, it's okay to be concerned, but worry's not going to be doing us any good, and. Worry can lead to fear, and I don't want fear to rule over my emotions. And, you know, God says be concerned, but don't worry. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're promised a sound mind if we draw near to the Lord and pray, so I do that. And um, also God's herbs, he has some herbs, too, that help with, uh, you know, panic attacks and, and stress. And I like to use valerian root. It really does calm down your nervous system without sedating you because it has a natural calcium which helps with the serotonin and the neurotransmitters in your brain. So it's a non-toxic, non-chemical, no side effect way of dealing with anxious situations. Uh, if you need a little bit more calcium, there is also another plant-based calcium that we may call calcium formula and that's at thepowerherbs.com. So just a non-toxic, inexpensive way to deal with stress and anxiety. And if they would like a catalog, you can call toll-free at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663, or go to the website, thepowerherbs.com. All right, Wendy, thanks very much. Uh, if we get a cold chill, we will absolutely give you a call. We'll give you a call anyway. Okay. Uh, Wendy Wilson, thepowerherbs.com, at 866-229-3663. Look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. We're going to take a break now for some commercials, and we, Melody and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk here with the Melody Cedar Storm on Financial Survival, and the program is brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver, 1-800-375-4188. All your gold and silver coin needs. What's next, Melody? Well, a lot of people took advantage of purchasing those one-ounce gold buffaloes yesterday. And uh, remember, folks, we still have uh, silver kangaroos that are available. You can purchase them in in boxes of 215 And we also have some great uh, prices on some $20 gold pieces. And uh, tomorrow we'll start uh, October 1st with uh, specials for October. We're just going to let September settle out. It's an interesting month, but... Uh, Certainly the impact of, you know, it's real interesting now. You know, we, we, we talk about all these events that uh, were projected to happen for September and so forth, and Nario and 1 did, did, did appear. And, you know, I see that in coin purchases. Um, I, I, I've seen the buildup uh, to September, and once these events did not occur, it's like, okay, all the problems are gone, so now we don't have to worry anymore. And uh, that is the problem when these folks have all, and these folks can do a lot of good as far as educating some of the things that we face uh, economically and so forth, but yet the project, the, these projections and predictions, when they don't come true, really hurt people and um but uh so it's interesting and i saw that in our business in in september and folks you have to concentrate on the true fundamentals of gold and silver they won't steer you wrong the day of reckoning is coming it's around the corner and uh 
hopefully you preserve your wealth by purchasing gold and silver. It's interesting today already we see now on the mainstream media and so forth, they're trying to find their next little niche to where they can, you know, rob people of more money. Today you had uh, Christine Lagarde come out of the IMF. She's the managing director of the IMF, and she's predicting a moderate rebound in growth in, in some of the advanced uh, economies like the U.S., Europe, and Japan. Uh, some of your emerging economies are going to experience a fifth consecutive year of slowing. <clears throat> but what she did say was uh, the bright spot, <coughs> excuse me, the bright spot at everything was going to be India. And I can't tell you how much and how over the past week or so the talk of India and how great India was going to be. And it's just a... It's the modern China, you know. (laughs) Really? Yeah, they give us all the talk about how great China was going to be and how China's turned out to be something of a paper tiger. And now they're going to tell us how great India is going to be. How great India is. And where is that going to go? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is just absurd. And it the really truth is. Of the matter is, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. I know, but it, it it's just shows you how strong this internet, how how big the cartel is, how big these bank, how, how big of a push it is to uh, keep these illusions going and, and working with uh, not just our Wall Street in New York, but the, the financial markets around the world. I mean, it's just uh, they want every last dime that people have, and this is part of the conditioning of the people, uh, you know, thinking that, uh, hey, if the U.S. will fail, maybe we can get, you know, some some interest in India. But there is a meeting that is held next week in Peru, Lima, and it's marking the first time in 48 years that the annual meetings of the two international lending agencies will be held in uh, Latin America. And uh, so she did talk a little bit about... Yeah, and did talk a little bit how China consumes about 60% of the world's production of iron ore, which I thought was uh, quite a bit... 60%. It's a huge amount, it's but huge how amount. much do they ship out and how much yeah. do they keep in in, in China? Um, you know, whether they consume it or they merely process it is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. If they're just taking iron ore, turning it into steel girders or steel whatever, and then moving it on to other countries, you know, that's not the same thing as consuming precisely. I mean, it's they're not the final consumer in a sense. They're just a... Manufacture intermediate point. Correct, correct. So she was interviewed this morning, and uh, those were her concerns also about, of course, the rising U.S. interest rates uh, and a stronger dollar that could actually um, reveal currency mismatches and lead to corporate defaults. So if we could only be so lucky that we have some of those corporate defaults. But I came across another article, Al, that I thought was interesting. I brought up Whole Foods. They were laying off a bunch of people. And uh, certainly Whole Foods has been accused of charging too high a prices. Basically, you know, uh, um, you know. Uh, just you know, for their food that they they they, they serve in their grocery stores and so forth, they're just uh, you know taking it uh, the 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 buyers of their food to the cleaners. But what's interesting is they're going to stop selling products. This is Whole Foods made using a prison labor program. Mm-hmm. Did you? And this is down. This is a. There was a protest at one of its stores down in Texas. 
And uh, they sell tilapia, trout, and goat cheese that is produced through a Colorado inmate program. Uh, and this has been going on since 2011. Now, I knew they used inmates for a lot of things other than just making license plates. I mean, there was a, um, you know, it was a huge thing, um, exposure to this, going back to where these inmates were customer service for credit card companies. Mm -hmm. That's right. And and taking orders. They were working the phones. Well, that was before they hired Indians. (laughs) It was before they outsourced to India. Um, But uh, it's essentially created a third world source of labor here within the United States. Mm -hmm. And we don't necessarily have third world people working in the prisons, but we do have third world wages being paid. And maybe not even that. And that's the object of the problem. They were paid $0.74 to $4 a day. Um, So, and again, as I mentioned, they they use the the government used them for a license place and so forth. But, however, this was uh, Whole Foods that are using uh, the prison. And I almost had to laugh at this. There was an annual report. Uh, The Colorado Correctional Industry said it employed more than 1,800 inmates with the goal of doubling the program over the next decade. It said more than 80% of inmates with at least six months' experience remain out of jail a year after release, compared with the national average of 62%. So, I I mean, is this something... doesn't mean that they don't go back to jail. It says they're just out of jail for a whole year. (laughs) It's like, you know, what kind, What does it really do uh, for these? Uh... You know, what they're saying, though, nevertheless, they're saying that a lot of people are in prison. A significant number are there because they really don't know how to work. It's not whether they can work, they can't work, they don't know how to work. And I can tell you that I remember I grew up, my, my stepdad had an excavation business back in Illinois when I grew up. And I learned how to work hard from him. Right. The man would have used a whip on the job if it was legal. He was always yelling and shouting, and he was an extraordinary hard worker himself. And we worked, we grew up working that job, and you'd better be running. You didn't stand around and lollygag. There better be, when the old man was off the job, there better be nothing needed to be done. <laughs> when he came back, you were standing around, you were in a bunch of trouble if there was work that needed to be done. And when you finished doing one thing, you ran to the next to the next and I tell you I loved it and it the education of learning how to work hard as a child and even a young man it served me well throughout my lifetime and I I feel sorry for people who don't have aren't raised in circumstances where they learn how to work hard and I know a lot of kids don't and without that knowledge you don't you need that knowledge. You need to know how to work hard. Most people think you just show up for the job and you hang out from 9 to 5 and then you go home and on Friday you get your check. That's not what it's all about. And I don't think people get it to the same degree that we did when I was a young man. Well, you know, how a lot of that is taught, too. I remember you well, know, I mean. my grandfather, he worked hard. He was a poor man. He didn't have his own business, but he worked hard. My mother worked hard. My, my uncles worked hard. My father worked hard. I mean, this was something that we saw and, and we followed and we reproduced it. And uh, certainly we have seen the changes as, you know, 
um, the the desire to work hard anymore. I mean, we've been conditioned it's to not believe. It's the desire. It's the capacity. People don't get it. Like, why should I work hard? That's crazy. You know, they regard it as something crazy. You're going to find out those those people in this country who don't know how to work hard and don't appreciate the need to do so. The time is coming when they're going to be at an enormous disadvantage. They're going to have to learn that skill, that attitude. They're going to have to learn it at a time when they are perhaps desperate just to feed themselves and their family. And it's going to be very, very hard on them. Now, I don't know what to tell you other than, you know, if you got yourself a job, now's the time to start busting your butt. And it's not a question of necessarily getting paid for the effort. It's not... It's not a question of just putting money in your boss's pocket or whatever. It's a question of training yourself in the same way you learn how to work in a gym. All right? Learn, go do that workout. Um, get into aerobics and the rest of it. You've got to condition yourself and where you can grab on naturally to the concept of working hard. And if you can, it may help you a great deal in very difficult times. If you can't get that... If you don't kind of practice that in the first place, where oh yeah, okay, I get it, I can work hard, I can handle that. If you don't know that, you don't know what you can do. You're at a big disability if things really become difficult. What's next, Al? I don't know. We've got an article here that we've got a series of articles that deal with the issue of money. Here's Dennis Hastert. He was the former. Uh, Speaker of the House, Republican from Illinois, he got he got caught by the government, the FBI. Hassard agreed to pay someone three point four million dollars to whom he discussed past misconduct, and in the process, this misconduct was sexual abuse of uh, kids, apparently while he was a high school wrestling coach, and at least one of those. Uh, he's allegedly, according to this article, uh, he was at a bank withdrawing withdrawing $1.7 million out of his bank account. Uh, it was used to cover up uh, payouts to an unnamed male with whom he had an illegal uh, uh, sexual relation while working as a teacher and wrestling coach at high school in Yorkville, Illinois. Uh, there's 1.7 he allegedly did pay out, another 3.4 million that he was planning to pay out. The article isn't clear, but one of the things is, where's this guy come up with an extra $5 million that you can pay out in bribes? Presumably, he has significant amount of capital beyond $5 million. But, because nobody's, not many people at least, are likely to be bribed down to their last dollar. And he got caught. The government spotted him um, because he was trying to withdraw the money out of the bank account in big chunks. And the government became, they noticed that, and that's why they came in and investigated. And one thing led to another. And he is at least threatened with prison right now. Well, the question is, what this all brings to mind is, where did the Speaker of the House come up with an extra $5 million in his bank account? This is a former wrestling coach. He was a state legislator for Illinois, right, which tells us a whole bunch right off the top. I mean, if you can't learn how to take bribes in Illinois, where can you learn? 
Um, and then he went on to Congress and apparently took more bribes. So we're talking about a lot of money for the Speaker of the House. And they're going to probably cut a deal to prevent him from going to prison. And I think the basis of the deal is that if he is forced to expose all he knows about his money in one thing or another, he's going to wind up implicating other people that are there. It may even have something to do with Boehner resigning in the last week. Um, it may be that the Hassert probe, one way or another, if it goes out of control, maybe it implicates John Boehner, the current Speaker, Republican Speaker of the House. I'm not saying that's true. I don't know. But it may be that's part of the reason he said, that's it. I'm out of here. He's going to try to get clear of the whole thing. Maybe. Uh, maybe not. I've got a second one here on committee. Planned Parenthood grossed $1.3 billion. Spends nearly $14,000 a day on travel. This is from the Washington Examiner. And they've had a, they've had a, a committee, the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, had a hearing on Planned Parenthood, and they concluded that the organization does so well financially that federal funding isn't necessary. They don't need federal funding. According to this, they gross $1.3 billion per year. They have assets of $1.4 billion. They are self-sustaining. They, some of the uh, officials earn in excess of $200,000. The group spends $14,000 a day on travel. Travel. fourteen grand a day. That's a lot of airline tickets. You can buy yourself a couple of jets. You know, to handle that, what, I, I mean, this is, this is a mystery, but the point is Planned Parenthood doesn't need federal subsidies. It's self-sustaining. $1.3 billion a year is their recent, their, their gross revenue, their $127 million a year net income. President Cecil Re Richards has uh, paid more than $2. almost $2.5 million from 2009 to 2013, including $590,000 in 2013. Um, significant number of Planned Parenthood executives make over 200000 annually. Planned Parenthood spends millions on travel. Who's travel? $14,000 a day equals $5 million a year for travel. That cost of travel won't, wouldn't be incurred by making contributions to politicians who support Planned Parenthood, would it? There's too much money banging around in Planned Parenthood coffers for politicians not to demand some sort of political campaign contributions, a.k.a. bribes, a.k.a. kickbacks for, uh, you know, it's reasonable to suppose somebody else is making money. And the point beyond this, and I've got, a, I've got a third article when we get back from this break, I've got a third article dealing with Hillary Clinton, and again, talks about there are massive amounts of money sloshing around up at the upper echelons of government. And we're going to get into it. We'll talk about it a little more when we get back and wonder, where's this money coming from and where is it going to? I'm Alfred Adisk. This is Financial Survival. I'm here with Melody Cedarstrom, and we'll be right back. Please stay tuned.
If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adams here on Financial Survival with Melody Sederstrom. And the program's brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. And we're talking about how much money is sloshing around at the upper echelons of government. Here's an article by, by Forbes. And the headline is, The Mystery of Hillary's Missing Millions. <laughs> Sounds like a, uh, I don't know, a TV drama or a movie or whatever, movie of the week. It starts out, it says, Since Bill and Hillary Clinton left the White House in 2001, they have earned more than $230 million. Now, that average is out to about $15 million a year and over $1 million per month. Note that although Bill and Hillary left the White House in 2001, they, that is to say Hillary, didn't leave politics. Hillary continued to serve as U.S. Senator from New York from 2001 to 2009. During that time, the salaries she paid to U.S. Senator ranged up to 175,000 a year. During the eight years, during her eight years in the Senate, Hillary should have grossed perhaps 1.4 million dollars. The salary was changing, but 1.4 million is tops. In 2009, Hillary gave up her seat as senator to become Secretary of State until 2013. All right. The annual uh, base salary of Secretary of State is 186000 right now. During the five years of Secretary of State, Hillary might have grossed almost $1 million. Hmm? Since 2013, Hillary has been unemployed. This implies that since Hillary left the White House in 2001, 
She has personally earned about $2.4 million out of the $230 million that she and Bill have earned together. That means Bill Clinton has earned about $230 or $228 million during the same time Hillary earned $2.4 million. Bill Clinton earned about 95 times as much as Hillary, if we can believe the numbers, since they went out of the White House in 2001. Now, Bill Clinton's $228 million divided by 15 years averages out to about $15 million per year, about 42000 per day. Bill's written a couple of books, made speeches, but who believes he averaged an honest $42,000 for each and every day for the past 15 years? It's obvious that the Clintons have another source of income besides Bill's books and speeches and Hillary's salaries. What was that other source of income? Insofar as the source of their income is unknown, at least currently, we are led to presume that a major source of their income was based on hidden and therefore potentially criminal activity. The article continues. It says, but federal filings... Uh, but in federal filings, Clinton's claim they are worth somewhere between $11 million and $53 million. Now, what are we talking about here? Somewhere? Somewhere between $11 million and $53 million? How likely is it that two lawyers as avaricious as Bill and Hillary Clinton don't really know whether they're worth $11 million or $53 million or somewhere in between? We're not simply talking about a difference of $42 million, which today we kind of dismiss. We're used to talking about billions and trillions of dollars. $42 million doesn't impress us. We're talking about the difference of 500%. I, when I'm talking, $53 million, they say, well, you may, I don't know, maybe you're worth $53 million. That's five times or nearly five times as much as the $11 million. So, well, we're at least worth $11 million. We might be worth $55 million or $53 million. It's almost a 500% difference. Right? If I ask anyone in this audience, what is your net worth? There are some people who say, well, I'm worth a quarter million dollars, somewhere between two hundred and fifty and maybe three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But who is going to tell me I'm worth somewhere between a million and five million? Right? We, 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 you know, the idea of how much money you're worth is there's a certain amount of flexibility and imprecision there. But 500%? How is it that a couple of attorneys, and again, I'm going to guess that they're counting their nickels and dimes. They could tell you right down to the penny what they've got and what they're worth, and yet they're claiming somewhere between 11 and $53 million. All right? Um, it's, it's, it's implausible. Article continues, it says, after layering years of disclosures on top of annual tax returns, Forbes, the magazine, the author of this article, estimates their combined net worth is at $45 million. And they ask, where did all the money go? No one seems to know, and the Clintons aren't offering any answers. From 2001 to 2014, the power couple spent $95 million on taxes. Remember, they grossed allegedly $230 million. They spent $95 million on taxes. Hillary's presidential run cost her $13 million. 
Their two homes cost a combined $5 million, and the Clintons have given away $22 million to charity? that make any sense to you? Do the Clintons seem like the kind of people who would hand out $22 million to charity? As you're going to see, it may or may not be charity that they're handing the money to. All of this is according to the Federal Election Commission filings, property records, and years of tax returns. Add it up and you get $135 million. Clinton's guy, they, they took in $230 million. They spent $135 million on taxes and different charitable contributions and whatever. If the Clintons made, the, the article continues, it says if the Clintons made $230 million, Spent $135 million and have just $45 million left. What happened to the other $50 million? $50 million are not showing up in this equation. Right? And Clintons aren't saying. According to Joe Biden's accountant, he says, gee, that's kind of strange. That's Walter Deli. You have to report all your assets. You have to report your assets that are owned by your spouse. I presume it means if you're running for president and or if you're occupying the office of secretary of state. It occurs to me, what if the Clintons were supplementing their income by taking huge bribes? If you live in a world where you can take bribes, you can bet you also live in a world where you must pay bribes. Could it be that the price of collecting, say, I'm just speculating here, the price of collecting $100 million in bribes from inferiors in order to get $100 million from some people, get certain things done, you got to pay $50 million to other people to get that stuff done. Is that what's happened? Is that where the missing $50 million went to? Paying bribes? Um, article, where could the money have disappeared? Clintons have been speaking around the world for years, make out millions in travel expenses under their businesses. It's unclear whether they've paid for additional travel expenses out of their own pockets. It seems unlikely, but they could have given it away overseas. Donations to foreign charities are not deductible and would not be listed on tax returns. All right? If donations to foreign charities, not American charities, foreign charities are not deductible or listed on tax returns, it strikes me that such foreign charities might be an ideal way of paying bribes. Suppose Dennis Hastert had set up a foreign charity. Could he have received bribes through that foreign charity without running afoul of the IRS? In the end, former Speaker of the House Hazard is not going to be child for child molestation. He's being charged for violating tax laws and lying to investigators. Having a foreign charity might have helped Hazard to avoid going to prison. If foreign charities aren't taxable under U.S. tax laws, are U.S. charities also exempt from taxation in foreign countries? If so, if a foreign government or foreign corporation wanted to bribe Secretary of State Clinton to perform some act, or if they wanted to bribe her to influence others to perform some act, those foreigners might have deposited a contribution into a U.S. charity like the Clinton Foundation. Conversely, the Clintons might be able to pay bribes to foreign special interests under the guise of making charitable contributions to a foreign charity run by those foreign interests. Earlier in this article, Forbes alleged that the Clintons had given away $22 million in charity. Does that make sense to you? 
$22 million is nearly 10% of the $230 million that Clinton's reportedly grossed in the past 15 years. Do you believe the Clintons believe in tithing? Huh? Is that what they're doing? They're secretly highly religious and they're giving away 10% of their income? $22 million given to charity is equal to 200% of the, current, of the Clinton's current minimum net worth of $11 million. They say we're worth between 11 and $53 million. That's 200% of the minimum net worth they might be worth. It's 40% of the maximum net worth of $53 million. Does anyone really believe the Clintons are that giving? Wouldn't it be interesting to see how much the $22 million the Clintons donated, the charity was donated to foreign charities? Wouldn't it be interesting to see who owned and controlled such foreign charities and figure out which of any of those owners of uh, foreign charities had performed and performed favors for the Clintons and or for parties that the Clintons represented? Wouldn't it be interesting to consider if this whole foreign charity thing was really just a tax loophole to allow legalized payment of bribes on an international level? Um, if anyone does a serious analysis of the Clintons' money trail, I'll bet they discover that Bill and Hillary Clinton have worked together to take and give bribes to and from special interests all over the world, and they've been funneled through the Clinton Foundation. That's my guess. I don't have evidence to support that. But if $50 million are missing, $50 million, you don't just say, gee, I, what did I do with that? Did, is that... Did I, did I leave that under the mattress on the bed? Or where did I put that $50 million? Anybody see my $50 million? You don't do that. You don't lose $50 million. If we followed it and we understood where the $50 million was, I think we'd find, again, they, they have used it as part of the bribe giving and taking process that I suspect is taking place through the Clinton Foundation. American Special Interests could send a check to the Clinton Foundation, a U.S. charity and deduct the amount of that check, um, deduct the amount of that bribe from their income tax. All right? You give to charity, it's tax-deductible tax deductible gift if you're giving it to a charity, at least the United, a U.S. charity. They could give it to the Clinton Foundation, um, uh, and they wouldn't run afoul of the IRS. Right? They, the, the people who gave it could deduct it. I don't know that they'd have to report it on their income tax. I guess they would to take the deduction. But the Clintons could then forward that money to another charity overseas, and they wouldn't even have to report doing so. They'd have to report the money they received from U.S. contributors. But they might not have to report the money that comes in from foreign contributors, and they don't have to report whatever they're paying to foreign charities. And the point I'm getting to, is that a close analysis of the Clintons, their foundation, and their charitable contributions will probably show that the Clintons are running a substantial bribery and money laundering operation that allows the paying of bribes under the pretext of making charitable contributions. I have little evidence to base the, on which to base that conclusion and suspicion. All right? But... $50 million has disappeared. Now, where is it? You don't just lose $50 million. And when nobody's answering the questions they said elsewhere in the article, Clintons aren't answering questions about this. 
The way you lose $50 million is by doing something illegal, unethical, whatever, improper. And you don't say where it went because you don't want people to find out. I have a hunch that there are $22 million in charitable contributions. I don't, put the, I don't see the Clintons as being particularly charitable. I could be mistaken, but I don't think that's true. I think that's a cover for making contributions to foreign charities and that are not tax-deductible, not reportable, but still, because they're legal, you're not going to get caught up by the IRS. I have a strong suspicion the Clintons have devised a way of Essentially laundering money, laundering bribes. Need somebody, somebody need to be bribed? Call Bill Clinton. Call Bill, call Hillary. They'll run it through their foundation. Donate it to this guy if he's got his own foreign charitable trust. Donate it to his foreign charitable trust. All work out. You can deduct the bribe. You can deduct your bribe from your income tax as a charitable contribution to Clinton Foundation. Clintons can send the money overseas. They don't have to report it. They don't have to pay taxes on it. I think that's... I think that may be what's happened in this particular instance. And I agree that it's speculation and I can't prove what I just said, but still, it really does. It quacks like a duck. So what do you think, Melody? Do you think it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, hangs out with other birds? What do you think? Well, certainly, you know, Forbes did bring this to the forefront, and, and you know, they're, they're even questioning the amount that uh, Donald Trump has. You know, Donald Trump says he has $10 billion. You know, Forbes is saying they have 5 So, I mean, sometimes the numbers, but, you know, we all know that, I agree, you know, 500%. Bill, I mean, Bill and Hillary uh, certainly doesn't have, you know, we all know their reputation. We all know where they came from. We all know where they went. And, and there's we no all have a pretty good idea where they're going, the problem at least is, if you subscribe to the Christian faith. But but we but there's no investigations. Of, there's no allegations of wrongdoing. Um, so. But I think there's going to be. You know, so. I think Hillary like, made an enormous mistake running for president. I think it's going to attract so much attention. I think she just might wind up investigated, a real investigation. If that takes place, she's going to wish to God she'd just gone home and play with her grandchild rather than run for the presidency. We'll watch and see, but we're out of time. These are questions we will leave for tomorrow or the day after or whenever. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, if good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dream, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead. 
gaining, it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316 316- 316-619-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Broadcast, a one-hour prophecy program on the American Voice Radio Network. Featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Greetings, saints, and welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the Flint Hills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is September 24th, 2015.
Saints, the world is in turmoil. Most just don't realize it, but we are in that time of the end, and that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin in the world and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Hear the sound of that shofar? Heed the warning. Get right now before it's too late. Please make this choice tonight. If you need help after this program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. Uh, 620-878-4682. In an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. And remember, folks, about prayer requests. We have a new way of also doing them that... If you mail a letter in uh, to our personal address that you can find uh, at our prophecyhour.com, then if you mail that prayer request, we'll take it to the mission church. We're in prayer circle. We'll anoint it with oil, and we will pray over it, and then we will send a letter back to you at no charge. That is what you need to do. So pray about that. You can also send us one by email, and if you include your address, I'll print it out, take it and to church. Uh, to the mission church, and we'll anoint it with oil and pray on it. If you want it back, remember to conclude your address, and that's at no charge to you. Um, remember, we're trying to be here for you. That's why we're here to warn you, because our heart is heavy of the things that's coming on the earth. If you don't believe the world is in turmoil, then look around you. You have Christians being locked up for standing up for their faith. You have Christians all-out slaughter across the Middle East. The whole demographics of the Middle East is changing. The world is in great, not small turmoil, but great turmoil. And if you can't see that, if you're just seeing the little bit that's in front of your face and in front of your eyes and your world isn't in turmoil, give it time. The United States will be getting judged. It is on the Father's list. You can always find updates with the breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address at our blog, which is simply prophecyhour.com. And let's remember that we are a national satellite radio program, and we're also simulcast live uh, on the Internet. Uh, And so that makes us an international radio program. And, of course, you can always get the archives. But pray about supporting uh, airtime because airtime costs and also – um, a lot of people li- uh, listen at the branch.podomatic.com site. That site costs almost a thousand dollars a year, and so that doesn't that costs money too. So if you're enjoy, I know I, there's that word enjoy. See, I almost choked up on it. Enjoy really. Um, if you are getting uh, something from these programs, being blessed by them, then I pray that you will support it by donating for the radio airtime. Because, you know, you as this ministry, uh, we're a mission church. We don't sell anything. And so pray about supporting airtime. We do really, truly need your help. Um, road, radio, <clears throat> radio program archives can be found at prophecyr.com and branch.podomatic.com. Both are really smartphone-friendly. And so pray about it. Go over there and listen to the archives, and, and I challenge you, to share these programs with at least two or three other people. Now, prayer, uh, and we'll get on with tonight's program. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name I pray, Father, I just pray that tonight you give the right message out, 
um, because I don't know anything about radio and I don't know anything about your messages. It's only your word that comes true that means anything, Father. So I just ask that you bless us tonight with your spirit so that what comes out comes out by you and not by us and or by me. And you show all my name. Amen and amen. Well, my mood is really sullen tonight, and I'm going to start this program off like I do many times when I just do the radio program by myself with this song, and and we'll talk about it when we come back. But let's have this song right now. And further down that road they are drawn And as I fix my eyes on humanity Watching as they run to and fro A burden fills my heart and the time is short Economic collapse and other things, 
the other things happened right under our nose, such as the whole Middle East on the end day of the Shemitah year, country after country started putting up barriers and fences to stop the migration, of it, migration as they call it, in the, in the uh, EU of refugees. These people are running from ISIS, who said that even some of these people that are running the, these refugees, a portion of those were terrorists. So anyway, so across the EU, the, the uh, European Union was built to have open borders, but now that's passing. And the EU has never even had uh, the European Union. Um, it's kind of hard, EU. I just It sounds like PU, you know what I mean? Anyway, the, uh, the European Union uh, never really had an army, but now it's raising one because of this. Let me read you this little uh, excerpt from uh, the Examiner. Migrant crisis and uh, Euro tensions trigger, threaten to trigger catastrophic conflict. Claim, uh, this is a claim made by experts. Rising tensions between Central and Eastern European countries over the escalating migrant crisis could be the spark for a catastrophic world war, experts warn on September 23rd. Both the Hungarian and Italian prime ministers have spoken of huge dangers of unchecked floods of immigrants from Africa and the Middle East, which have set previously peaceable EU nations against each other. This scenario, especially the one currently played out in Serbia and Hungary, is hauntingly similar to the one that triggered the First World War. The problem has been manifesting itself in Central Europe, where Hungary is besieged by growing numbers of refugees passing through Serbia and Croatia, forcing its government to build fences to stem the influx. Hungarian Prime Minister uh, Viktor Orban warned European life and is warned European life and. St- and its established laws were under threat from huge numbers of people heading through the continent from war-torn states in the Middle East. In a defense against criticism of the aggressive stance against refugees taken by the country, he said yesterday, our borders are in danger, our way of life where we respect law is in danger, the whole of Hungary and Europe is in danger, the, mig- the migrants are blitzing us. Now, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm not laughing at their plight, but some of these same people were bla- have blasted the United States for when we start talking about making sure that we build a fence or we have a, a, a border, be it all these countries are doing so right now. Because it's well-known fact, if a country does not have a border, then it isn't a country. Then you're open for invasion. And I believe America is being invaded right now. I believe that's part of the judgment on America. Hungary and Serbia have consistently been at each other's throats over the issue with Budapest and its non-EU neighbors to do more to help tackle the growing neighbors' migrants. In fact, um, today in Congress, what did uh, one of the things that I know the Pope said is he railed on the, the, the Congress to do more about these immigrants uh, as they call them, uh, it, to me, it's just illegal. When you cross from one border to the next and you are not there by invitation or by passport or by visa, so to speak, you are an illegal. You're not an immigrant. You're an illegal. You got that? That's illegal. Anyway, um, but yet the Pope railed on us for all that, but yet the Vatican is completely surrounded by a wall and it's the hardest place in the world to get into. It's, it's like a fortress. And so going on with this, 
They're now sending troops armed with rubber bullets and tear gas to the border with Serbia to protect the country's frontier. A Hungarian political journalist for, uh, for, <clears throat> said the situation was growing tensions between nations was reminiscent of the international scenario from just over 100 years ago. He said this is how the eve of the First World would have looked like, complete hesitancy, and termination of the usual channels of diplomacy, the lack of solidarity, pressure to take a step in the countries issuing threats to each other, are all reminding us that it definitely uh, doesn't look like a cooperating Europe. No, it looks like Europe is being fragmented. And even so, even if it doesn't lead to a major war, if the countries are being fragmented, that's a breakdown of the European Union, and you know what that's going to do to the economy. Worldwide, that will blast the economy if they split up, and that's what seems to be going on. Right, <clears throat> Mr. Orban is right in stating that it would only be worth to talk about quotas if we can control the registration of the migrants coming to Europe. And so far, no country has any idea how to do that. Now, looking from that, what else do we see in the Middle East? Um, the current situation in Syria, um, America uh, is, uh, you know, they have been bombing uh, President Bashar al-Assad's regime. But right now, though, Vladimir Putin is defending him in, by attacking ISIS. And his warnings are all too clear. He said, on the mar we're on the march to war, repeating itself. It's a repeat of the 1930s, the crash of the 1929, the Great Depression, currency wars, trade wars, world wars. This is from Putin. We've got the panic of 08, the Great Recession, currency wars, trade wars, and we're seeing all the refugee wars sweeping across the shores of, of uh, Europe. He said another big terror attack on society will see an emotional outpouring across the Western world, and then it will transform into a catastrophic force for re revenge. Excuse me, that was a, a Mr. McClinty that said that. They are leading us to the next great war, and it's always going to take as a terror attack, and people will be tying yellow ribbons around everything that doesn't move, waving American flags, and we're off to what Einstein called the whole war scenario. Well, what about Russia? Let's go back to that. Well, you know, it pointed out to me at last hour that they said, well, Russia's always been, you know, in Syria. Well, that's, that's no doubt, but they've never built open. They just built two um, air bases and are flying in uh, huge amounts of armor and troops. And they warned the United States that they needed to communicate with them about what they're doing in the area or there could be huge problems. Technically, you know, if the United States is bombing Assad's people, uh, you know, the Russians are there too. Are we bombing the Russians? You see how close that could get to war? And you know what? Um, Russia keeps saying, America, talk to us. America, talk to us. And Obama is just snubbing him and is totally ignoring him. So you see... Syria and Russia are one, so so to speak. Syria is also backed by, let's see, oh, yeah, the Persians, yeah, the Iranians. And if you look in Ezekiel 38, part of the, they were part of the nations that will make war against Israel. And so all of these things that we see in the Middle East are a lineup for the time of the end and what's going to happen. I'm not saying that something's going to happen today, tomorrow, this year. But if you look at the situation there, 
you can see that all the end-time players are indeed lining up. Anyway, um, and now we're hearing also that um, that there's an empadada being threatened to be started on Sukkot. Yeah, Arab Israeli leaders and joint uh, uh, MKs join Abbas in the threat of a looming empadada over Israel's attacks on the Temple Mount. Now that's from their point of view. What it is is the Arabs have been going to the Temple Mount and they've been rioting, and so they won't. They don't uh, control them, so to speak. So the uh, uh, you know the Israelis send in people to stop the riots, to stop the stone throwing, to stop all the problems. So the Temple Mount isn't destroyed. So they turn around and say that it's the Israelis that are doing it. I've watched the news clips and I've seen the things. It's not being started by the Israeli police. It's being started by, in fact, uh, about a month ago, there was, in fact, guns being smuggled to the Temple Mount, not by any uh, people that wanted to blow up the Temple Mount, but it was being done by Palestinians, you know, and other Arabs because they want to start a war. And what better place to do it than there? Um, so what do you think the Pope's going to say tomorrow? You know, is he going to say that we need to have a Palestinian state and divide Israel? Is that what's going to happen tomorrow? On top of that, we have Vladimir Putin is going to be there. Why did he come clear across the world at this time? Why is he there to speak? Um, and then we also have the leader of China is also going to be at the U.N. this month. I don't know if he's going to be there tomorrow, but I do know that he's going to be there tomorrow. And the rumor has it that he is going to ask the world to uh, drop the United States currency as, uh, you know, the reserve dollar. That's what keeps the dollar alive is because we are the reserve currency. Everybody else measures their money by how much it, co it costs or how much it's worth in U.S. dollars. So if you go to something like Forex or whatever, it'll give you a breakdown. It'll say so many of these dollars to U.S. dollars. So they use the U.S. dollar as a yardstick to tell you how much your money, your money is worth, whether it's worth more than the U.S. dollar or less, but that's how it's done. So, But China is trying, wants to replace the U.S. dollar. Well, why would they want to replace the U.S. dollar? Well, there's lots of reason, control, but... Then again, uh, it's also if America is not on the scene, they have to have another currency. Otherwise, if America was taken out or actually crashed, then it would crash the whole system. And so uh, that's something uh, to think about, you know, that's going on right now. And see, there's where my heart is, you know. There's so much going on in the world. We, again, we look across America and the, I pray that the Father lifts the veil from your eyes. But if you can't see that all that sin out there isn't good, turn on your TV set. You know, there's broad nudity, and, and practically every show has to have gay and lesbian people on it. And they want you to believe that this is normal. This is not normal. I'm, it's normal for the time, but when you take – but that, it, how did it get that way? It got that way. Because the church shut its mouth back in the 60s after they become 5013Cs and they agreed to be non-political, the church started, uh, they became a business. They started taking away their voice, you know, and saying, oh, well, you know, we don't need to um, talk against these things. And rarely do they talk against them 
in church. Um, if you know some churches that um, are good, that talk against sin and homosexuality and all these things, let me know. I'll even mention them on here uh, as a good place to go for people. Send me an email with them. But the point is, is for the most part, the pastors aren't speaking forward. You know, if you follow this radio program much, you know that I usually ask most of my guests, what do you think it could take to change America? Do you, where does the, the guilt lie in where we have found ourselves? And you know what they point to? They point to the pulpit. Because the pastors aren't speaking forward, and they need to speak forward. If Pastors, if you're listening to me, talk to your flock. They will listen to you. You're their shepherd. You, they will listen to you. Tell them to speak out. How long are you going to be silent until massive amount of Christians are locked up in the United States for simply standing against homosexuality? They should have been doing the same. We should have been standing up for the abortions. All of these things are going to bring judgment on this nation. And I believe that judgment has already started here. That's probably why the Shemitah didn't wipe out the stock market, as, as uh, uh, Jonathan Constart said. It, it looks like that it's going to step into judgment, and I agree with that. So you need to pray about it, folks. Pray about it. Pray about the time that you're in. Are you weeping and crying for that which is to come? That's the point. That's what the Word says. That's where your protection lies, is that he would mark those. The Father would have an angel mark those in the forehead that were weeping and crying for what is to come. Talks about that in Revelation, too. Anyway, we're going to have to go. We're going to go to a break. But before I go, uh, make sure you visit prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. It's got a radio program archives that tells you how to donate, so on and so forth. It's like a hub to all our other ministries, like the Mission Church and, and what we do. And so go over there and check us out. And we'll be back in three minutes. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead. 
meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Dan Catlin, you're listening to Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. Folks, please remember to pray tonight about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas. Why do so many people come to the Father's Little Mission Church? Well, they've come because of love. That's really the first answer. They're treated as family. They're given a relationship instead of a piece of paper that says, fill us out and we'll see if we can help you. Second, like I say, you know, they're, they're treated as family. Beyond that, you know, we don't really have anything like set guidelines. Sure, we tell people how they have to behave, but, you know, if they need be. But most people come in there and, you know, they like the peace. They like being treated as human beings instead of, of like a client, so to speak. Um, and so they like the atmosphere. And so even the worst enemies can walk in there and not cause a fight with each other, which is a rarity. I'm not saying that once in a while we don't hear an argument, but we've been doing it for 16 years, and they respect um, what we give them to them because they know that we give it to them from our heart. And that's what everything's about is giving from your heart and being from your heart. You know, it's just like my heart being heavy right now. You know, I, I feel the air out there is so thick you can cut it with a knife in a sense that 
something's coming. I don't know what it is exactly. I can't put my finger on it, but I know something's coming. I feel it. Um, I, I deeply feel it, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But here's the point. Um, you know, we are supposed to help the poor. You know, it talks about it. A lot of you folks that listen to our program, we're your Torah observant. You know what it says? It talks about it in, in Deuteronomy, and, and I'll paraphrase, but it, it talks about if you see your brother fall, you lift him up quickly so he is not harmed. Restore him to the place that he is at so he's not harmed by the, the financial problem that he has. That's a, We're called to take care of one each each other and there's my wonderful train you know uh just to take not to take it too far off path but you know what my uh producer says about that train he says oh is johnny cash coming you know and he makes a joke out of it maybe it's a funny joke maybe it isn't but i can do nothing about the train and personally i think it's a government plot yuck yuck because you know they gave the train people here when they had that train crash they talked about all the money they gave them for new brakes you know for the train so they could stop well you know what it was less than a month later that this train here started having a louder horn i think they took the government money and bought horns instead of brakes that's my thought on the whole deal but anyway the the train is now just rumbling by but they're not going to blow their horn no more but Anyway, we, I was saying we don't have any set guidelines or, you know, like programs like most people. People walk in the door and ask for what they need. And if we have the way to fill the need and we believe that it's a righteous need, then we fill it. You know, if that means digging in my pocket and taking the last of the cast that I have and going and buying a pair of shoes, then I do that. You know, prayerfully, it's not the last of my cash. But it, no cash belongs to me. Everything belongs to the Father. Even your money in your pocket, it all belongs to God, the Father, you know, Yahweh. Anyway, so we just we try to help them the best way that we can. And this is what we've been doing for 16 years. And I was saying earlier that people think that, well, because we're a ministry, you know, and we're on the radio, so that's a big deal, so... We must be getting millions of dollars in donations. It doesn't work that way. You know, we're just a, a, a probably less than one, I doubt even 1% of the people that listen to our programs um, donate. So, you know, there it is. People, it's just not what they do. But so pray about it. Um, pray about it. We really do need your help. Anyway. This is why, you know, agencies, you know, they, 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 we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, I've got it up here on my board, agencies. It is a pretty fascinating fact that, you know, the agencies around Wichita, you know, if, uh, if you ask them where Messiah's branch is at or who's Messiah's branch, you know, they, they scratch their head a lot. I don't know why they've never caught on to that name, but they say, well, okay, you know who, who Pastor Dan is? Oh, yeah, we know him, and they're doing a great job over there at Pastor Dan's. Well, it's not Pastor Dan's. It's Messiah's branch, and it belongs to the Father. But anyway, he says they, they all brag and say what great job we're doing. In fact, they re, refer people to us, you know, people that they, they send families to us looking for um, places to live and all kinds of things. You wouldn't believe it. And we don't have money for all those people. People that have millions of dollars in their budgets and can help people send people to a place that really has no budget. So what is the key there? People know that we don't have money. What are they looking for? What are they looking for? They're looking for a miracle is what they're looking for. They send people there, and, and if we don't have the money to help them out, 
then, you know, we ask them, do you want a prayer? And we pray with them. And you know what? Most of the time, from what I've seen, you know, sometimes the prayers are answered instantly, but generally, uh, most all of them are answered and in a positive manner. You know, just because we pray for something doesn't mean the Father is going to answer us the way that we want. He will answer your prayer. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get what you want. You know, you might pray for, uh, let's say, you might pray for uh, transportation, thinking that, that God the Father is going to give you a car and he might hand you a bicycle, you know, or the other way around. You want a bicycle and he gives you a motorcycle. Or you pray for money for something to paint your house and somebody shows up say, hey, we want to donate the paint so you can paint your house. So, you know, the Father doesn't always answer us in the way that, that we think he should, but he, do, he does it in the way that he thinks he should, what's best for us. Father notices all <clears throat> all donations that come from your heart, folks. It really does. You can donate online or by mailing a check or money order, and you can find all this information at prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. And, folks, if you want to be right in this time that's coming, you've got to be standing on holy ground. And here's a song that just says so, holy ground. The bush was burning with the flame By the power of God's glory Standing on holy ground Yeah, he had to humble down And take his sandals off Cause he was standing on holy ground Daniel in the lion's den He trusted in God's word Those hungry lions' mouths were shut And not a hair on Daniel was hurt And he was standing on holy ground Yeah, he had to humble down He was standing, standing On holy ground Holy ground Holy ground They were standing Shadrach, Abednego, into the furnace they were tossed. When the king looked in, there were four, not three, must have had their sandals off, and they were standing on holy ground. Yeah, they had to humble down, they were standing, standing on holy ground. David told Goliath, you come with sword and shield. But I am the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He was standing on holy ground. Yeah, he had to humble down. Cause he was standing, standing on holy ground. Holy ground. Holy ground. They were standing. Standing on holy ground Are you standing, standing on holy ground? You know, to be right, you've got to be on holy ground. To be on holy ground, you've got to be in your word. And one of the reasons my heart is so heavy is there's so many people figuring, well, 
you know, I'm just going to fly out of here. You know, the, I'll fly out of here at the first visit. I'll fly out of here when Yeshua returns. Uh, he'll come and get us as a thief in the night. He'll resurrect the dead. And so that would be the first resurrection. And let me read. To, I'm going to read something to you from the Bible that tells you when the first resurrection is. And I'm going to pick it up at Revelation 19. At Revelation 19, what has just happened, um, Yeshua, the, has, and it has to be Yeshua, all judgment was given over to him, has just judged the horror of Babylon and destroyed her. And so now we're going into uh, Revelation 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice and most of the people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our Yahweh. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped Yahweh that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our Yahweh, all of ye servants, ye that, that fear him, both great, small, and great. And I heard there were the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters, and the voice of the mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord Yahweh, omnipotent, reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife have made herself ready. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is at the last trump of, of Yahweh. But let me go on. Um, his wife, that's you, um, has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she would be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white. For what fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he hath said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith, um, unto me. These are the true sayings of Yahweh. And I fell at feet to worship him. And he said, I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that gave testimony of Yeshua. Worship Yahweh, for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. For he was crowned with many crowns, and he had a name written, so no man knew it but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name was called the Word of Yahweh. And the armies which were in heaven followed, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine, fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he that treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty Yahweh. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves unto the supper of the great Yahweh that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit upon them and the flesh of all men, free and bond, uh, free and bond, small and great. Now, if you you can find this same reference, now go back to the prophets, you can find this same reference in Ezekiel 39, 18 to 20. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and with him that deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, and the sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw in Revelation 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years would be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua. There's witnesses being beheaded right now for the witness of Yeshua all over the Middle East. All over the Middle East, Christians, are. that's happening. Amen. Anyway, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua and for the word of Yahweh, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they that lived and reigned with Yeshua Messiah a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So, folks, where do you see in their secret rapture? This is the first resurrection. If they, Yeshua had came and got somebody in a secret rapture, then that would be, this would be the second resurrection. But that's not so. And when is this timetable? It, it talks about it. Babylon was just destroyed, the marriage, uh, and, Yeshua, and that happened, uh, and Yeshua comes. There is the marriage supper of the land, and he returns with the saints to judge the nations. And that is the first resurrection. But uh, So what is the second resurrection? Let's go on. And when the thousand, uh, blessed is holy that have part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of Yahweh and of Messiah, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out to deceive the quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand in the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints, and that <clears throat> about, and the beloved city and fire came out of Yahweh from heaven and devoured them. Well, the camp is Jerusalem. That's where the camp and the holy city is, is Jerusalem. And we're talking about Jerusalem, Israel, not Jerusalem, America, not Jerusalem, any place else in the world, but Jerusalem, Israel. Um, okay. And he went up on the breath. Oh, yeah, we did that. And the devil that deceived him was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whom space the earth and the heaven fled away, there was no, no was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before Yahweh, 
and all the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to your works. If you took part in the first resurrection, you're alive. You're not dead. These are the dead that hasn't been raised at Yahweh's coming. So we'll go on. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was name was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Um, is your name written in the book of life? How do you know? You do that by repentance, having a personal relationship with Yeshua, and turning away from sin. If you're still in sin, the word says, then there remains, if you continue on in sin, there remains no sacrifice for your sin, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the sacrifice for your sin. And so this is why my heart is burdened, is because there's so many people that are just going on, like Yeshua said, is in the days of Noah, when he, everybody was eating and drinking until the waters came and took them away. You know, they were still eating and drinking and taking in marriage. That's what's going on out there. The world is just going, especially Americans, um, we're just rolling right along, and the world's just going on and on and on. And, and you know, the preachers are saying, you're going to fly out of here. You're going to fly out of here. But I just showed you the first and second resurrection, the first and second resurrection. Where do you see a secret rapture in that? There is no secret rapture. When Yeshua comes, every eye will see him. The nations will mourn. You will see thunderings and lightnings and the clouds. Things will split open. You will see him coming. You will know it when it happens. There's no secret rapture. That's not going to happen. There's nothing that's going to fly you out of here before. And when does this happen? People, Some people say, well, this happens before the wrath of Yahweh. Well, that's at the, what I just read you is at the end of things. That's where he does it. What he does say is people that are weeping and crying for those things that are coming. It talks about it in the book of Ezekiel. Those people that are weeping and crying for those things that are about to come upon the earth. The angel goes out from the altar and seals all of Yahweh's people in the forehead so that they are not harmed. And to that is about midpoint of the tribulation. But you've got to get uh, past that midpoint. You've got to survive, but you, how do you survive? By having a personal relationship with Yeshua HaMashiach. Your mind cannot be on the riches of this world. Your mind can, be, can only be in what's pleasing to him. He isn't pleased with the stuff here on earth, but he is pleased when you help your brother or you go visit him in prison, and he helps you. He, he's pleased with you when you when you bless Israel. Believe it or not, I know so many people, oh, Israel, blah, 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 but he means it. He said not to speak high-minded against Israel. If you read Romans 11, which I don't have time to read to you tonight, um, in Romans 11 it tells us um, not to be high-minded because against those that were broken off. For just a few, some were broken off because of disbelief. Some were broken off out of Israel so that you might be grafted in. So you were grafted in with them. There wasn't a new church started at, at Pentecost. Pentecost is an old holiday that's been going on for thousands of years. At Pentecost, um, in fact, Gentiles weren't even grafted in. It didn't come until later when Paul and Barnabas and, some of the, and Cornelius 
they started ministering to uh, the Gentile people. But that, that was a while. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, uh, Israelites that became as Jews. They they were grafted in, you know. They were grafted back in, and that's what were you seen the big. Um, you know, influx of people in the book of Acts, it talks about the thousands being done. Well, the, those thousands aren't Gentiles. That doesn't come till later. And so these people um, started the church. You know, if you look up the word Christian, the the, the original uh, thing of it says Messianic. You know, well, what's Messianic? Messianic means, you know, Messiah-like. Are you Messiah-like? Well, what does Messiah do? Let's see, well, Messiah kept the Sabbath. He was born a Jew. He lived as a Jew. He died as a Jew. His mother was Jewish. When he returns, uh, he yeah, he died as king of the Jews. And when he returns, how's he going to return? Does that matter to you? He's going to return as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So through him, that you were by his blood, you were able to be grafted in to something that was already existing and still exists today, and that is the Israelite people. And, you know, even Paul said, you know, he pointed to himself, and he said, we all must become inwardly Jews in order to be saved. That's what he was pointing at. Do you know that, that you know, people talk about the word synagogue, you know, in the, in the Bible, where the word synagogue and the word church, if you look it up, it's the same word. It's ecclesia. And that means a called-out group of believers. In fact, the word church didn't come into play until around 300 A.D. All of the places that they went, they called them synagogues. That's what they called them. They weren't called churches, and there wasn't something called the church in, in that instance. That is a, is more a, that's a Gentile thing that came about around 300 A.D. And I'm not telling you you've got to run out and be a Jew and start wearing and Jewish clothing and all that those sort of things. This is what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that you need to get a personal relationship with him. You know, you don't have to become, a, a, you know, for that matter, an ancient Israelite. Some of these people go around in costumes. You don't have to dress in a costume. Dress the way you are is fine, as long as it's not provocative. But uh, I would suggest wearing titsies, you know. That's the fringes on your garment. I would definitely say wear those because that's being Torah observant, and they're like a little string wrapped around our finger that tells us that, that reminds us that, you know, to do something or not do something. But the tissues is to remind us to keep the commandments of Yahweh. And that's what we are, are called to do. We are called to keep his commandments. Folks, my back to the mission church. I, I pray about, oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah, and this what we what we just read. Um, when Yeshua returns and reigns for a thousand years, that is definitely the season of our joy. And that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's what, you know, when we fit, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, we're celebrating not only his birthday, um, because he was came and dwelt among us. He was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, Yeshua was. And we're also celebrating that thousand-year reign of him on earth. And so if you have never attended a feast, I strongly suggest that you, you ask around or Google one and go attend one and see what it's like. I'm praying that we have enough funds to go someplace, but even if we do not have enough funds to go anywhere this year, 
which uh, it's usually our only vacation, and boy, we really needed, especially after my wife having that uh, brain aneurysm. But even if we don't get a go someplace, we're going to take a rest. And so there's pro- I'll either have a pre-recorded program next week, or uh, Steve Henderson will be fill- filling in for me as a host because, you know, I really don't like to, I don't like canned programs, so to speak, and so. I'm probably going to have Steve Henderson and maybe somebody else fill in for the two programs next week. When we come back um, the, on the 8th, uh, Marzuli will be here to talk about um, some updates in the Nephilian world, so to speak. And then uh, that's on Prophecy Hour. And then Kenneth Updegrove will, be, will join us uh, to talk about some things uh, on the first program, Mission Watch. But pray about the Mission Church. We really need your help. But you must remember, really, there is only one God, and he is your father. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is Yeshua HaMashiach, and he gave his life for repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the the earth. Through him and only through him is the way of the father. That is his sign. That was the only sign given to a wicked and adulterous generation, was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Not which he see, not died on Friday, rose on Sunday morning. In fact, he rose as just before dark on the Sabbath. Anyway, i got to get out of here. Pray about supporting the Mission Church. Always be a blessing to others. Lord our God, Father, King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name to Father blesses and keeps you, and his face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316 316- 416-619-4886 Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals, 
Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Order Doc Mike's book, How to Practice Medicine Without a License. Be your own doctor for only $14.95, plus $2 postage and handling. Call Doc Mike Direct at 708-488-8887 or go to wakeupwell.org. That's wakeupwell.org. Dot org to order Doc Mike's book, How to Practice Medicine Without a License. Be your own doctor for only $14.95 plus $2 postage and handling or call 708-488-8887. That's 708-488-8887. 8887. Order now. Chicago live and you on Friday the 28th of June 2013 the last show in June of 2013 this month but stay tuned we'll be here for another six months and another 400,000 dead Americans because we're almost at the halfway point right now okay in fact, in just uh, by this time next week, we'll be over 400,000 dead Americans. As of this morning, along with the chemtrails from our bad-ass mayor and our celebration of the um, uh, Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup, and conveniently, there were no chemtrails in the sky today. No. There weren't anybody looking up there and seeing the poison raining down on a million gangsters lined up to congratulate the Blackhawks. And Mike Binsky, the, the uh, trainer who uh, put him into the Stanley Cup finals, and then they won it. But as of this morning, 
393,800 Americans are dead. Yeah, real dead. Pushing 500 pounds of marble. Every one of them. It's the first of the year. 2,200 yesterday, 2,200 today, 2,200 tomorrow, right through the end of the year. This is genocide, folks. Make no mistake of it. And wait till Obamacare. Well, it's already kicked in. We're having these died suddenly obituaries. I'll have those up here for you from time to time. Yeah. That's Obamacare. Died suddenly. Had a bad habit. You know, like going to see doctors. And what a cascade of problems when they start drugging you. We're going to have some um, testimonials on a regular basis, just like the lady that was up here uh, a few weeks ago that cured her cancer and got off of morphine. We're going to do a little bit more on morphine today, too. We're going to snoop around on some of these drugs. Um, Centrally acting analgesics and so on, and opioid analgesics. Nine pages of adverse reactions. They're getting smart out there, folks. Believe me. They've got to cover their fat asses from smart people like you and me that want to know why people are done when they go with hospital. Yeah. Why are they why are they dying? Okay, I'll help you. Drugs. Lots of drugs. Okay. This is their thing. Get somebody to um administer them, especially morphine, and you can bend over and kiss your fat ass goodbye. And that's their plan. It's population control. So let's ring the bell. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.